What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by ArtofMagic.com. Our guest for this episode is Larry Fong. You may not know his name, but you definitely know his work. He is the director of photography for many of Zack Snyder's pictures. 300, Watchmen, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and a host of other amazing, beautiful films and videos. I met Larry at Magic Live. He was introduced to me by Homer Lewag, who I had on the podcast, and I've become good friends with Homer, and I like to think that I'm pretty good friends with Larry now as well. Larry is a phenomenal magician, and we talk a lot about creativity and what magicians can learn from film and filmmaking and sort of how he thinks about making magic his own. I had a wonderful time sitting down and talking with him, and we have a few special guest surprise phone calls. in the episode so this one's gonna be kind of like the adam rubin episode where it never really ends and there's a bunch of funny interruptions i also want to mention if you're a cat person you're definitely gonna love this episode and if you're not a cat person don't listen to my podcast i'm just kidding (laughs) we had a great time we talked a lot about magic and film and food and coffee and Larry's kind of a junkie for things that take finesse and things that are interesting and these neat little subcultures. And we talk quite a bit about that and how all of that relates to each other subculture. Larry's a wonderful guy. He's very sweet and a little shy, but we had a really good conversation and I know you guys are going to enjoy it. If you don't already, follow us on all the social media channels, Instagram and Facebook, Twitter, if that's still a thing. You know, you can search us out. Find us, Magical Thinking Podcast, artofmagic.com. You know where to find us. Please, of course, get in touch with me if you enjoyed the episode. Or if you didn't enjoy the episode, email me at podcast at artofmagic.com and let me know what you think. All right, guys, Larry Fong, esteemed filmmaker, wonderful magician, phenomenal human being. Enjoy. Window into a soul. Window into a soul. How long have you had him? Ten years, I guess. Oh wow, that's true. Ten years? I can look it up. Time flies. Let's see. Oh six, yeah, ten years. Wow. Time flies. It's getting old. Still as a kitten. Yeah, some friends found him like in the bushes cowering from a dog attack and they needed someone to take care of him. I go, I don't like cats and I'm allergic, so sorry. <laughs> Just keep him for one day, we have no place to keep him. So I never sneezed, so it was kind of cool. That's cool. So are you actually allergic to cats? Yes, I'm allergic my whole life and other cats that will sneeze, but I don't know how that worked. Wow. But right, because all your friends go, see, we knew you were faking. It's all in your mind. <laughs> Well, no, I actually am not around other cats a lot, so I'm not sure if I'm allergic. Okay. <laughs> He's a majestic beast. He's pretty majestic. He'll just stare at you for hours. He's listening. I want a cat so bad. He knows we're talking about it. He totally does. I'm moving up to L.A. soon, and I would like to get a cat when I move. Oh, you should. Is, um, where's your girlfriend? San Diego. Think. She was up here, and then she got a cool job down in San Diego. She still wants really? to live up here, um, like permanently. Uh-huh. But right now, she's got a really cool job. And what's she doing? She is like project managing this uh, new 
beauty and wellness boutique kind of thing. So it's like this big 4,000 square foot space. And inside of it, there will be like uh, like a, a little Botox place and um, like laser hair removal and acne treatment and stuff like that. And there will be like a juice bar and uh, other cool things. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, and so she's like kind of. She's project manager. That's the second time you said that. I always hear people are project managers. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, hey, are this going to be a problem? What? This? I'm, it's not going to bother me. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, um, what's a project manager? Uh, I think it's someone... <laughs> <laughs> um, she... Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, she's going to be on the marketing team. But currently, because it's still like in its very infant phases, I think project manager is just kind of a nebulous term. That I probably assigned to what oh. she's told me about it, not actually what she is. Well, it's cool that she's down there with you, but but she wants to come back here, and you're going to move up here, so yeah. she can't quit that job, right? Or you have branches, maybe? No, she can't quit the job, but she... It's Stepping not, stone. Yeah, it's not necessarily what she wants to do, but she's going to get a bunch of cool skills out of it. Oh, good. And good knowledge base. So six months, maybe? Yeah. Um, That's cool. Yeah, She's yeah. pretty cool. Oh, thanks. What's her name again? Amanda. Yeah. We had a great time here. Yes, Phil. <laughs> like, don't fuck it up. <laughs> I believe in you. I love how wide his eyes are. He's got, like, kind of a small head for his body, and then his uh-huh. eyes are huge. <laughs> um, he always does this thing where he has this... He's not doing it now, but he has the, the his back paws on the edge, and the little ones are in, and they're just curling over that. You're like a gargoyle? Oh, always yeah, doing yeah, it, yeah. But he always does that. It's so weird. It's weird. Are you weird? I don't understand people that don't like cats. I could stare at him for an hour. <laughs> Ew, they're just so mysterious. I think I learned more about women from cats than from dogs. Yeah? Totally. When I got him, I understood a lot of things, like unspoken things and... I don't know. You have to read their minds a little bit, right? Dogs, it's kind of, they want this, they're going to do this, they want that, and it's just all out there, right? Mm-hmm. There's this mystery. You have to work harder to... Cats are subtle. Yeah. Yeah. They're subtle. But they are low-maintenance, so that's where the analogy breaks down. <laughs> You're low-maintenance. I'm sure he appreciates that. He's going to Vancouver with you? Yeah. We're going to do a road trip, actually, so that's going to be fun. Does he have a passport? You're going to drive to Vancouver? Wow. Yeah. That's right. I just thought I wanted to do something different. and I could take my car, so we're going to take a three-day road trip. I'll probably just sleep in the chair next to me, and then mm-hmm. we're stopping in Chico and then Portland, where I've never been. I, yeah, I've never been to Portland either. Well, I can call Wayne Houchin and see if he's around. Oh, he's that's in Chico. Cool. Wait, didn't the Bucks, <clears throat> are they from there? They're from uh, 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 Sonora. Oh, I'm gonna get Chico. Anyway, yeah, there. he's 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 done with us now. <laughs> he's like in the coffee machine now. <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. So road tripping to Vancouver. That's awesome. You're gonna be gone for six months. Yeah, that's actually short. That's 
Is it? For a movie, yeah. Okay. Are you allowed to talk about the movie? Yeah. Okay. It's called Predator. The Predator. They might change the name, but it's a sequel to the classic Predator, which mm-hmm. is super fun. And Shane Black is directing and writing, who is a great writer. And super excited about that. So it's kind of a, it's a smart script, and it'll be... Um, can I talk about it? It's... Uh, <laughs> It's aliens and monsters, <laughs> and that's all I can really say, but, but okay. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. And cold in Vancouver. But I love Vancouver. It's awesome. It's a beautiful city. What magicians are up there? Uh, I have no idea, actually. Wait, Jamie Grant's up there. He's about to move, though. I don't know if he'll be up there. Kind of long. up north, yeah, an hour or something out of town. Mm-hmm. I had coffee with him a couple weeks ago. And then... Um, Andrew Gerard, who I kind of know, and Bill Gilbert, whom I don't know. There's got to be other. Oh, uh, Will Sy is up there. Competition. And is that it? There's not even a magic shop up there that I know of. Wow. So it's great because I can do self tying shoelaces and become famous, <laughs> which happened once actually. Really? Yeah. Did, what's the story? I was there, and um, <laughs> it had just come out, and I was up there doing, yeah, I was doing okay. a movie up there. And, what movie um, was it? Just so I can get a time frame think reference. Maybe Watchmen? Okay. Watchmen. Yeah. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. <laughs> Don't blame you. But it was awesome, because around that, that's when I met Homer uh-huh. and Chris, and they told me they were touring, and they were in Alberta or something, and one of the stagehands said, this stuff is cool, but you should see this one... Uh, the cinematographer, he was able to tie his shoelace without using his hands. And they, Chris overheard this. He goes, are you talking about Larry Fong? He goes, yes, do you know him? And so it was funny on two levels because he knew and uh-huh. also because he was saying that that was more interesting than Copperfield <laughs> that he was <laughs> the stage after the show. That's not cool. That's but that's the power works. of the shoelaces. Yeah, that's a phenomenal trick. It's been on every TV special since it came out for a reason. Every single one. And I have to... Dig mine out again. You should. It's cool. You should take it out. That should be a Vancouver trick. The thing is that the problem is that people like wiggle their foot after the fact way too much. They try to figure it out. It's like 20. No, when people perform it, it's like the 20 wiggles instead of three good wiggles. Yeah. Which is a life lesson. I asked Homer, uh, I was like, what's it like to hang out with Larry Fong? And he's like, Larry does excellent magic because he knows how to like present it really what you just said uh is i think an example of that instead of just like wiggling your foot and not thinking about it you need three good wiggles that's what you need and that's what you do right how do how do you how do you do that how do you take something and like make it better hmm that's interesting i guess it you know it has to do it's it's anyone's subjective kind of thing right but i think maybe because of film Uh maybe you kind of know the timing or what it takes to communicate the thing and make the get the idea or the feeling hopefully without overdoing it yeah or underdoing it but i don't know i can't say i'm a great performer i don't think i perform i've never performed formally sure in front of an audience i have terrible stage fright so i never do that yeah so it's always friends and parties Uh and work kind of thing 
Actually, my family said, hey, you got to do a magic show for Christmas a couple of years ago. And I totally froze up and I couldn't do it. Oh, wow. I started shaking and I'm like, this show's over. Why do you, why is that? <laughs> my whole family. Why? I don't know. It's just, I'm not like, it's like it's supposed to be in front of the camera. I'm back of the camera, not in front of it. And I yeah. guess, I guess when I do magic, it's more organic. So it's, it's not about, you know, put your hands together for so-and-so, blah, 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 clap, clap, hi, my name is blank is this your first time <laughs> can't do that kind of thing yeah so I, it, it just you know try to keep it organic and real and that's why it becomes uh you want the magic to be the center of attention and not you exactly i don't like being the center of attention why i don't know i think it was an upbringing upbringing you know it was kind of like do you have siblings I do, but you know, with Asian parents, it's always kind of like, hey, you don't speak until spoken to, and you know, and also survival because I grew up in the '60s and '70s, and kind of like there's a little racism, and you want to kind of disappear in the crowd, sure, so you don't, you know, draw attention to yourself. So that's part of it. That's interesting. So then, when did you get into magic, and why did you get into magic? If you weren't drawn to. <clears throat> If you weren't a look at me kind of person, because I'm a look at me. Are you? Yeah, I, I am. And it's funny because I, I'm also very introverted and, you know, kind of shy, but I'm also like, I have a damn podcast. Could I be any more pretentious? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how does like, someone be introverted and say, look at me? I, I, it's, it's one of those things, like, I can flip it on. I would rather. I'm the kind of person who would rather be alone, but if I have to go out, I'm going to own the room. Oh, okay. Right? I see what you mean. I'm going to, I'm like going to peacock except without a scar and a fedora. Right. You know? That's interesting because in those early, you know, an analysis things of like your personality or your career thing or, or you know, those little tests, it always said I'm an extrovert, will be a diplomat or something. I go, I am not. I'm like so shy. I can't speak in front of people. Where do they get that? And I think maybe there is a kind of being able to turn it on or off. Might, might not want to, to do it. You know, like it's like actors or comedians are off stage or completely, yeah, completely shy. Totally. So I guess there's a weird paradox there. I think I was interested in magic because I, I loved, I was nerdy, so I went to the library a lot. And um, not only books on art and stuff that I liked, but, you know, the magic section. Mm hmm. What was the Dewey Decimal? Do you remember? 791? There's like every library I think, knew where I to think go it is to. 791. Something like, like 793.6 like, or something. Yeah, because yeah. you know there's going to be cool stuff. And then you have those, all those kind of Martin Gardner books and uh -huh. optical illusions. And then I go, this stuff is cool. And um, I think I got interested in it that way. And um, But also the magic set thing that everyone has. I got a magic set for Christmas for my cousins who their dad was stationed in Japan at the time. So I get this magic set, but all the instructions are in Japanese. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it had the spring puzzles, right? Yeah. And it had the uh, little cups and balls, I'm sure, and the rabbits and other little paddle things. But mm -hmm. but I couldn't read the instructions. So I yeah. look at the pictures and kind of figure out and hope that I was doing the right the way to do it. So I yeah. think that, that helped me, I think, learn how to learn tricks right that's it's really hard to learn magic yeah so there's a way to learn it especially from books so i think that helped me you know go through the trouble uh -oh. answer it i'll pause it hello 
Larry? Is this David Copperfield? <laughs> it's David Copperfield. Um, you can hear the show right now. We're starting the show. Okay. Thank start- you for all the work. The podcast worked really, really good. For what? Thank you so, so much. Oh, you're yeah. Right. That's right. That's our first show of three shows today. Here, listen, listen. You have the music. Oh, you, you better get out there. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. And you do have my permission to do Death Saw. You're the only person I'm giving permission to. Really? Really? Yeah. Death Saw, okay. You can. Okay. You okay. and me. Okay. <laughs> Talk to you later, man. Go. Okay, bye. <laughs> what was that? What was that? Do you even know what he was thanking you for? <laughs> I think he knows I'm doing a podcast. I'm oh, sure yeah. Homer made him do that. Oh, that's really funny. Uh, too bad that reception is so bad here. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Homer would do that. That's hilarious. Yeah, eventually i got to get to meeting Homer. But um, Yeah, so um, learning magic from books. Because what you, what you said about having the instructions be in Japanese, I, uh, Garrett Thomas told me once that he was very badly dyslexic, and so he would look at the pictures and just figure out the trick. And he is wildly creative and an yeah. amazing magician. He knows how to make something work. Yeah. And from what I hear, you kind of do the same thing. I wonder if that's like a... Hmm. Is that how you kind of learn from books because you have a pretty extensive library over there yeah i do love my magic but that's hard you know i was thinking about that today you if you want to learn magic then the guy at the magic shop recommends a book to you but still you're looking through it all and how do you know what's worth learning if you're a beginner yeah now you can because you look through it and you go, oh, i don't know if this is for me but then mm-hmm. you, you just kind of randomly choose a trick and you go, i think i'll learn this one and then a month later you realize this is stupid why did i <laughs> or you don't really know how it's supposed to look until you know, you see someone else do it. Yeah. But I, I think magic books are like cookbooks, don't you? Yes, absolutely. It's this whole thing of, you know, how do you create something that's amazing? It's going to take a lot of work. But also, can you, just by looking at it, and it takes years, know that's going to be something you're going to like? Yes. You have to be able to recognize what the ingredients are, how it's cooked, just from... You know, that initial glance and you go, oh, yeah, that's something I have the capability of doing and something I also know that I will enjoy. Yeah. And also they seldom have pictures and cookbooks. <laughs> they just assume, you know, yeah, uh, like gusset the chicken using your favorite method. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bring the chicken to the top using your favorite method. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But it's good. That's why I love cooking because cooking is like magic, and to me, and or you know, yeah, I want to talk about cooking and coffee and, and all of it, drinking and well, <laughs> water, expensive water. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have some fancy water here somewhere. I have to get some. Oh yes, is that the Hilden? I don't know. It's in the other room. I have to look. Okay. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, uh, well, how, okay, so cooking, coffee, and magic are all kind of similar. They're like weird little countercultures, subcultures of, you know, there's a lot of intention, there's a lot of um, finesse and subtlety, uh, but you can also just, you know, take a microwavable Stouffer's lasagna, 
prepare it in four minutes. Like there's mm-hmm. bad magic, like there's bad food, and there's bad coffee, like there's bad magic. But like you seem to like the finer things. Yeah, but also I'm not <laughs> above, you know, a microwave hot dog or a microwave burrito. Oh, me either. I I could easily do that at the same time. You know, I will only not eat Little Caesars if somebody talks me out of it. Like if I pass one on the road, I'm like, mm, $5 for a pizza? That sounds amazing. That's your favorite, Little Caesars? It's not my favorite, but it's but easy, it's there. and it's there. Pizza's my favorite. It's so funny, because, number one, I'm not a big pizza fan, but, number two, I just bought a pizza <laughs> oven thing on Kickstarter, where all my money goes into Kickstarter. Wait, hold on. Is that the one that like gets up to like 600 degrees, and it's like this big? And Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay. Well, there's two. There's one that's kind of shaped like a barn, and one that's more okay. like this. It's from England. It's called a Rocco box. Oh, it was supposed to be here like half a year ago, of course. I'm still <laughs> waiting, and now I'm about to leave and probably get stuck in the shipping. We'll never see it. But, but that, I mean, but I when I was in Australia earlier this year, I took a class in um, pizza making, but like the Napoli pizza. Mm-hmm. So like I'm kind of excited because my friend said he's going to build a, you know, the giant one in his backyard. Oh, that's actual, cool. I like thought, a real brick oven. Yeah, I thought that's. I, I don't know. I want to do that just for the pizza once every three months. But the portable one, you can actually take to the beach and stuff. So oh, that's cool. You want that? Yeah, but if you build your stage out here, you have a big old pizza oven. That'd that's be pretty awesome. Stage, like a pizza party on the stage. No, <laughs> not the oven on the stage. But if right. you had the stage, you had. A but we could serve the pizza. Over. You yeah. could cook the pizza and yeah. then be the MC and then have the the magic show. Oh, I'm down for that. I would do that. The mini Brooklage? Oh, Brookstone. That's what you should call it. Like Brookstone. <laughs> Beyond Brookstone. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. That was a good pull. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, coffee, coffee is a slippery slope because when I was doing movies in Vancouver about 10 years ago, I knew that. I go, should I? This is something like. When you're interested in something, you've got to get involved in it. And that was before pour-overs and stuff, right? Yeah. So, I mean, although when I was a kid, the same thing as pour-overs, I think, kind of, we did. But the espresso machine and all that, and the grinder, and the expense, because the um, the proper espresso machine and proper grinder is so expensive. Yeah. Um, but I did that. About eight years ago, I bought... Um, it's a Ranchilio. It's kind of the basic... Espresso machine, it's like three or four hundred dollars. But the problem is that it doesn't have a double boiler because one boiler has the coffee temperature and one boiler has the steam temperature for the milk. Mm-hmm. So you have to do this thing called temperature surfing. It's really complicated. So then I got a. Uh, <laughs> what are we talking about, espresso machines? Because I want to know. Uh, a mini Vivaldi, <laughs> which was even more expensive, but uh-huh. then I could do like real espresso drinks. But after doing Batman versus Superman, I decided to go all in <laughs> all in this, this this machine i've looked at forever it's over there it's the la marzocco gs3 that is just badass yeah that thing's gorgeous and it's funny because you make one coffee a day still it doesn't mean i have 10 coffees a day but it's just such a beautiful machine i love uh making coffee on it yeah but you know what it's hard to make a really good espresso you do a good job well it's like a cappuccino or a latte but just an espresso by itself yeah that is tough. It's yeah, really tough. I mean, I don't know if I've been any place where it was kind of like, oh, wow, that's, you know, it's like doing a tequila shot. You go, wow, that's 
whatever, put some sugar and milk in it. And then my friends say, <laughs> once you put sugar and milk in it, you're kind of screwing it up. And yeah, compromising the tequila's it. not good anymore. Ugh. So, whatever. <laughs> like, you shouldn't shoot, like, a really good, expensive yeah. tequila. But sure. sometimes you can't help it. <laughs> you right? 1942, it's so good, but sometimes you want to shoot it. Yeah. See, like, I don't... <clears throat> I like to consider myself kind of a purist and a snob, but I'm not above shooting, you know, $200 scotch. I'll really? Heartbeat. Oh, that yeah. I haven't seen. Yeah. Why not? I'm not going to... Exactly. I'm not hate you. Like, it's, it's like throwing caution to the wind. Or is it? It's kind of like... Um, we should talk about sushi later. Let's talk about it now. We got a bunch of irons in the fire. We can, we'll talk about... I'll write it down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sushi, sushi. snob. Yeah. And that's why it's it's really hard though because when I was a sushi snob, you have to you have a certain standard, right? Yeah. And every time you have a higher standard, you end up looking like a snob, and then people don't like you. Yeah. Because I would just stop going at sushi with people because you know I wanted a certain kind of sushi, blah blah blah. Yeah. And, you know, and haven't been to Japan, you know, consider myself an expert and all that. Although it's a lot of BS, but <laughs> you're a relative but, expert. That's the point, though, is you're a relative expert. Well, here's the thing: if you go to sushi, yeah. like you do not want cheap bargain all you can eat sushi i don't uh-huh. if you're gonna eat like a dead raw fish thing throw my rice it better be like really really good yeah and i'm gonna spend a lot of money but it's not gonna be that often so i'm not gonna go to the old sushi roll factory three <laughs> three times a week <laughs> yeah. to get you know rainbow roll covered in mayonnaise spicy sauce i'm uh-huh. gonna do it yeah but um here's the weird thing about sushi you it kind of took the country by storm, you know, and everyone eats it. But the Japanese are so polite that they never took the time to tell you how you should eat it. Because uh-huh. if they're seeing like, oh, you're insulting me or that's kind of not the way to do it. They're not going to tell you because yeah. they're just polite. Where, you know, you've been to other restaurants and they're what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Right? You can't do that that way. Yeah, yeah. That's the wrong fork. Sure. Right. Yeah. And they'll yell at you, but it's fun, you know, like, like yes. been yelled at Italian restaurants or don't do it this way, what the hell are you doing? I like being educated. Right. Yeah. But they won't, so... So how do you do it? How are you supposed to eat sushi? Take the opportunity. Well, I'm not going to say... There are tens of they're... people listening, and they need to know. <laughs> well, I'll have a link. <laughs> a link on the, web, on the website. I can tell you where it all changed for me. Yeah, okay. When I moved... Um, not this house, but the previous house, and I was looking for a sushi place. I went with my girlfriend at the time, and we drove in Studio City, and I saw a sign, and it said Nozawa, and I go, I think my friend told me about this place. This is the Sushi Nazi, I think. Okay. So we go in there, and um, he starts putting the sushi down, and it's like nothing nothing I've ever had. How can it be? It's just fish and whatever, but the size, the temperature, it didn't look special. There's no fancy sauces. There's nothing on it. It just was a fish and rice, and... Mm -hmm. It was magical. I couldn't understand it. And I started going there and, you know, I tried to close down the place and then I started asking him questions at the end of the day. Yeah. And he would tell me things, things that he did that no one else does, and the standards and how he shops for the fish every day and the temperature of everything. And I realized that the first time I talked to a sushi chef, even though I'd been eating sushi for years and years and years, I think that's how we all do it. We have the little... The piece of paper, and then you ask for the pieces, and then you eat it, and you're out of there. Right? Yeah. But you go there, and he'd give them to you in a sequence, and so there was there was a subtlety of the temperatures of the sequence of the type of uh, sushi, and mm-hmm. um, in order, 
it built. It was like a symphony, right? Yeah. And it was something I'd experienced before. So that became the gold standard. And um, he's retired now. So, <laughs> so you haven't had good sushi in well, the sugar, years. <laughs> there's, there's other good places, too. Sure. But, you know, Sugarfish, that's his place. He retired. Okay. And, it, you know, he opened Sugarfish, this chain, which is pretty good as well uh, mm-hmm. for... Um, Considering it's not really a sushi bar, you go in there and they come. The pieces come out to you. Yeah, it's it's still him going out and buy the fish. So it's probably the best fish, or some of the best fish out there. But um, yeah, but because of that, I don't I don't I don't, I don't go to sushi much anymore. Mm-hmm. It used to be one of my favorite things to do. Now it's like the elusive things like the unicorn. Sure. Not sushi. Not unicorn sushi. That's different. Is that good? I've never had that. Uh, well, you have to avoid the horn. That's the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me. <laughs> Thank you for yes anding that dumb bit that I did. <laughs> well, so again, that's another like subtlety driven thing. Mm-hmm. Like what's it's it's simple and complex simultaneously. It's yeah. pure. Yeah. Fish rice espresso shot you know like a perfectly seared salmon or you know like this it all kind of ties together what is what do you think that's what's that about why are you drawn to things like that i think it's about it's about life and happiness really right because it's the little things Mm -hmm. if you consider those things little um that that make a day special. I mean, when I would when I would go to Nozawa, I would go often just go by myself. I wouldn't bring another person because I wanted to be in there, like in his temple, and and I would eat the, the sushi and I'm, be, I'm drink, being dramatic and I just close my eyes and I'd almost cry sometimes and I'd yeah. be there for an hour and afterwards I just leave like I'm floating on air and like there's not many things I can do that. I mean, I'm not really into sports, but I know like the people go to sports <laughs> games, they're elated and there's a sense of community and like that yeah. makes people happy. You know, I don't share that thing, but it's the thing. If you can find things in life that make you happy, and I think, you know, elevate your experience and the sense of wonder, which is what mm. magic does, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I don't know if life is so dreary and pointless that you need things like that, but you do. I think you need, you know, if you're eating and drinking, which last time I checked, you have to do every day. Yeah. Sometimes you want to make it special. Again, it could be a hot dog or a hamburger. I have no problem with that. Um, but... With, for your soul or for your experience or for your eyes or for your mind like magic does that yeah I love to see I love to see magic more than doing magic you know, and um, it makes you feel a certain way and I think that's what other people feel when you do magic yeah I guess well it makes it makes sense to me that I mean what you said you elevate your experience you know like these these small simple things like a really good coffee or you know transcendent sushi this is like stuff that you can do and control whereas magic's a hard thing to come by that's like mainlining right an elevated experiment experience if it's good of course uh whereas these other things are slightly more excessive and also easier to like learn how to do yourself Mm. necessarily right you know which i think is interesting you can like incorporate the same basis of appreciation like this is how i want to live my life Mm -hmm. 
And now you can go, oh, well, when I cook, I can do this to do it that way. I right. can drink this kind of expensive scotch or this kind of, you know, amazing right. coffee. You know, it's just different ways to sort of angle right. yourself towards the life you want to live. And different people seek out different things. Absolutely, right? so, yeah. <clears throat> it's also about learning, though, because what makes you say, you know, sometimes you learn magic and someone says, how did you learn that? And you're like, well, how did you learn to play the guitar? Yeah. How did you learn to shoot baskets or how did you learn to... I don't know, whatever your job is. I, I can't imagine how people do that. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's what makes someone unique. Well, I, I like to learn, so maybe it's the thing about how do you cook. It'd be really neat to, like, you know, one day, probably 10 years ago when it was more popular, I thought, I should learn how to be able to do a creme brulee. How hard can that be? Yeah. And then you seek out a recipe. How hard is that? And you can do it, right? Maybe the first time's not good, but yeah. you can do that. Or... Um, what I always think about is what kind of person chooses what they want to learn. Some people learn nothing. Yeah. But <laughs> Homer was here the other day and um, I was playing guitar and I go, hey, you used to play guitar. Try this. And I was teaching him a chord and like a strum thing or a picking thing. And he had this weird look on his face. And I said, are you okay? And then he said, it took him back to when he was young and was trying to learn guitar and couldn't do it. Uh-huh. And I was like, "This is, that's bothering you, isn't it? He goes, I never was able to do it. And I said, I said Homer, you can't be perfect at everything. <laughs> <laughs> You're perfect at everything except maybe the guitar. But, but the look on his face I'd never seen before and it was really something like, um, it's not like I'm a failure yeah. or um, that's one that got me. Maybe, but um, that's a guy that always wants to learn and mm -hmm. new things. Always, always, always. And I admire that, and that's why I admire him so much, because that's impressive in a person. And it's not like if someone doesn't want to learn all, so much that they're, that they're worth less, but to me, I always want to learn like those crazy, all those crazy books on there, mm -hmm. because I've always, I always want to grow. grow and figure out stuff. And does it make me a better person? Probably not, but... But what is that? Is that a sickness? <laughs> You're diseased. I can't, I can't, I'm not learn everything on that bookshelf either. No. But. Well, I think, I mean, that's. Theron, in that last episode, or the second to last episode, said something that he read in the book that was like, you know, does this give me joy or has this served as purpose? And he's like, you know, I bought all these books. People buy a bunch of books that they're going to read, but they never read them. He's like, get rid of them because you're not going to read them. Mm -hmm. They serve their purpose, which was... But yeah. it's the same kind of thing as like eating this particular kind of sushi. It's like, this is the kind of book that the person I want to be would buy. Mm. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, I want to be sophisticated and intelligent and mysterious and this and that and so like okay if that's the kind of person I'm going to be then what does that person do I'm like creating a character in a world that I want to be and right. live and then I just figure out what that is that I hmm. can then go and do interesting yeah that's how I got into scotch is because I liked the idea of being like a man and like drinking a good scotch I don't know. It was just a sexy idea to me. And I was like, if that's the case, I have to learn how to like drinking liquor. Straight. That makes sense. Because <laughs> I think you said something about you didn't want to be like the other people who were just uh, doing shots or whatever you said that 
right? Your friends or fellow students that were... Yeah, yeah. When they went out drinking. Yes. You're referencing a different episode, and I thought, I was like, I didn't, oh. mean, I didn't say that today. <laughs> no, no, not today. <laughs> I forget. I've, it's like weird to me no, you're to talking talk about to someone who listens to the show. I do. I listen to all your podcasts. And I, I, I'm honored, and I appreciate that, but it's always strange to me, because I won't remember what I said, and somebody would be like, oh, yeah, you said this thing, and I'm like, really? <laughs> And, and and what did I think about that? You know, it's like people see tell the TV shows and they tell the stories back like it's real. Yeah, exactly. I had a friend who said, "Oh my God, I was talking." To Jerry said the funniest thing back. You know, this is way back when, and I I realized she was talking about Seinfeld. Like, like she experienced, she was there. Yeah, she just watched a TV show and yeah, yeah, couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, pretty soon you're not going to know what's real and what isn't. <laughs> you know, that's so funny that you said Jerry and Seinfeld because as soon as you said. You know, somebody will remember something they watched on TV. I immediately Seinfeld. Really, Seinfeld. I knew, like, I don't know. There was some That's kind so of funny. energy there, but I was like, I knew that was going to be Seinfeld. They're just blowing up your phone today, aren't they? <laughs> the actually, there was a sushi place that was really hard to get into called Sasabune. It used to be on Sautel. And <laughs> this um, makes me so happy. It was always hard to get a seat there. One day I went in there, and there's no one in there. Yeah. And me and someone else, I go, wow, there's no one in here. This is amazing. And then I go, how come no one's here? And he said, tonight is a uh, uh, final episode of Seinfeld. Oh, my I go, God. I just thought, I so don't even care about Seinfeld. I didn't know that. But because of that, I'm in this awesome sushi restaurant. That's amazing. And, and then that guy respected me ever since. <laughs> I don't know what's ringing. Love Seinfeld. I like it now. Yeah. Love it. That is. It's your it's your old iPhone. <laughs> I don't even have that cable anymore. So I can't I can't find it. That's funny. Oh my god, this is so funny. Hmm? Oh my god. <laughs> Chris Kenner just texted me. What do you say? Oh, can I tell the Homer a story? Yeah, tell whatever Homer stories you want. When I was just about ready to go off to Canada to shoot Watchmen, I was. Uh, you know, I subscribed to Genie since I was a kid. I didn't understand any of it. But I would, every so often, hey, product review. So it said, hey, this really cool thing called Coin One. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. So I looked on the website and I bought it. And I thought, who made this thing? Because yeah. back in the days where people were in their kitchen with a bed sheet up, you know, VCR, uh, VHS camera. Mm-hmm. And Homer does this thing where it's music and graphics and amazing photography and then music. So... I've never done this before. I, I saw his email on there and I wrote him like a fan letter. Yeah. I go, who are you? And I figured he'd never respond. So I said, just so you know, I'm a cinematographer. I really appreciate what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I get an email back and he goes, oh, really? That's amazing. Um, he goes, I love cinematography, although I'm a magician. And we started this pen pal thing because I was in Canada. And we mm-hmm. just talked back and forth. And meanwhile, I don't realize he's with Copperfield. And I don't realize that he and Chris Kenner had that book that I've had on my shelf for yeah. <laughs> since I was a youngster. Yeah. And um, so he goes, you know, when you get back in town, you got to come visit, you know, come to Vegas and see us. And that's kind of how that friendship started. Mm-hmm. I mean, cinematographer wants to be, you know, a magician. And he's the other way around, except, of course, he is, does everything. <laughs> um, but Chris and David were so welcoming and friendly. And through them, you know, that whole... Vegas Posse was there back then. I think that's when I met, um, or they have groups of things. So that's when I met, you know, Max Maven, Dan mm-hmm. White, Danny Garcia, Daniel Madison, you know, 
Luke and Ben and all those guys. And then they're just so nice. And I think, and the Bucks. And that's when I thought, magicians are cool. But because then I was kind of in a vacuum. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, you met all the cool magicians. Yeah. <laughs> that I've heard of or seen online or whatever. And, yeah. Um, and then that's when it slowly transformed where I had more magician friends than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, where's all your show business? Cool friends. I go, yeah, whatever. <laughs> They're lame. They're nerds. <laughs> like, I want to hang out with magicians. Posing cocktail party <laughs> Hollywood people. No, I know some heavy-hitting Hollywood people, but magicians are kind of like, they're my peeps. They're like, keep life exciting. Yeah. What do you, is, would you consider magic your biggest passion? I think so. I guess it would be. I mean, I like, obviously, film. I like music and sure. art, but magic is the one thing I think every day I'm somehow looking at something or trying to learn something or reading yeah, something. or. Me too. It's so weird to me because there's, you know, there's like this dichotomy of the word magic and the word magical. Like Mm -hmm. everything that you just named, music, film, food, drink, all of those are magical experiences in one way or another. Magic sometimes is the least magical thing that you can be witness to. That is true. Like... I, I struggle with that personally. <laughs> well, where do you go? I mean, like tonight we might go to the castle, right? But yeah. you can't just say, where am I going to see magic? Go to YouTube or... You don't. You go to like, yeah, a book horrible. or something that's in your head. You're not really seeing magic. Yeah. But it's an obsession or a... You're right. You can always see a sports show. You can always go out and see live music. You, yeah. you can always go hiking, exercise, do something. Yeah. But you're right. It's more of a... Is it a lifestyle? More than... Maybe. Anything? Yeah. I just... I just... I think it's interesting, you know, that... Magic, as in, like, tricks... Can be so trivial. Like, even though you're doing something... You know, apparently impossible, it's still kind of trivial. When something that's generally trivial like eating can be transcendent you know like it's this weird it's kind of like an ob- it's like a mirror world a bizarro world mm-hmm. you know well if you eat to live or do you live to eat so yeah do you do magic to live or do you live to do magic <laughs> i don't think i do magic oh well i guess technically i do magic to live it's my job Hmm. that's interesting you know do you do magic to live or do you live to do magic because some people think that they live to do magic Hmm. but they're really doing magic to live oh did we get too navel gazing and are we gonna like fall in on the black hole of this conversation (laughs) no i feel like we're like precariously like waltzing around this thing where we're just gonna fall in maybe Okay, but are you saying like magician that does it for a living and and performs? But yeah, but actually isn't like getting the higher experience of it. Well, what do you think about the magicians that do like the same six things? And I'm not putting them down. I'm saying yeah. they know it really well. But isn't that the better thing when you think about like in today's generation where you're learning a new trick every single day? Yeah, that's obviously not good. So maybe maybe there's some middle ground where... Yeah, I guess it all depends on what the purpose is. Like, mm. if the person's been doing the same six tricks for 15 years... Well, let's use Matt King as an example. Like, his act has evolved over time, mm-hmm. but it's like... 
he's more or less doing the same or similar things that he's been doing for years. Right. And he he's, you know... And amazing. Yeah, inarguably a master, right? Master. But I think he's, like, really being fulfilled by that and, like, s- fulfilling other people mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Uh, and I also think that there are, you know, young kids or maybe even older hobbyists that are learning a trick a day, and that's what fulfills them. They're like, oh, here's a new thing that I learned today. But I, I, what breaks my heart is the people that are like doing amazing magic and are sleeping through it. Mm. And they started with a passion, and that was living to do magic. And then they started doing magic and started doing magic to live. Do you know people like that? I could, yeah, I could name people like that. I don't want to. Mm. <laughs> I'd rather not. I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> expecting you to. Huh. But it is kind of sad because you get into it because you love it. And then you start to love it less. And you just kind of have to deal with it. Hmm. That's why I stopped performing, actually. Is when I was doing it, I, I didn't like. And I was just busking. I wasn't doing it like, you know, professionally doing gigs or, or anything really. But I was busking and I was like, I don't want to go do that today. But people expect hmm. me to be there. Interesting. So yeah. I would go, and then I wouldn't enjoy it, and then I was like, I can't, I can't fuck up the thing that I love so much, you know. So I've got to step back from it. Was it partially because you didn't like the experience, and because the audiences were bad, or just no? The audiences were nothing great. Nothing to do with that. The audiences were great. I was making good hats. Um, I just didn't like the getting up on a Saturday morning and going to doing the thing. It's like I, I'm the kind of person that like I won't leave the house for four days in a row. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, so the fact that I have to go and be somewhere at a scheduled time, right? If I don't want to be, yeah, I just rather not do that. And procrastinate yeah. and yes, and then when it's the thing that you love and it's your passion, you start to resent that thing, hmm. even though it's not that thing really. It's just the construct around the thing. Interesting. I wonder if, like, if I was to perform, if I'd feel that way because. Part of the pressure, I mean, there's a lot of magicians that are hobbyists, right? Yeah. Or have other careers. Um, I wonder if I would love it less if I was had to. Uh, not that anyone would hire me. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, the passion. It's kind of like, you know, the, my job is in film. Like, sometimes I just whine and, you know, I'm, I whine to people and I think, why am I whining? You know, I have to stop myself. And yeah. I'm so lucky to do, you know, this dream that I have. But sometimes the uh-huh. hours and the waking up and the frustration. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Do you have bad experiences in your cinematography? Like, as a professional cinematographer, and this is, you know, your, the way that you make your money and live your life and express yourself creatively outside of magic and food and things like that, do you, do you feel that sometimes because it is the way that you have to make money where you go, oh, God, I don't want to do this? Or if, if something bad happens... You just like you take it much more personally, or it hurts more because mm-hmm. you know it's kind of the thing you have to do. Um, no, I don't think it's because I have to do it, but sure. I think I have had more than one person say, you know, you always complain and you're never happy, but all cinematographers <laughs> are always miserable. Yeah, I've had. Several people say that, and I thought, really? Are we miserable? And then, you know, 
I mean, other cinematographers, they seem they're being great, but then people say on the set, you know, they're miserable and yeah. they yell at people and stuff. I'm like, what? Like, why? Well, like, it is a high-pressure situation. Sure. Right? I think it costs about... What do you it do? It takes about a million dollars every day is spent on a day shooting a movie. So think about that. So no, think I, about... I, so I, can't about even, I can't even fathom I think that. you leave the lens cap on, right? Yeah. Have you done <laughs> you that? Can't. Have you done that? But imagine the yeah. film comes back. Oh, no film. Never mind. Yeah. And... That's a lot of pressure. And you guys usually shoot on film, right? So that's even more pressure. Sometimes it's, okay. going, it's not less now. Okay. But it's like a lot of pressure. But yeah. that doesn't mean you have to be miserable. Yeah. I visited some sets on friends of mine, and they're just the kind of this king waltzing through the set with this air of confidence and, you know, joy. And I thought, wow, I don't think I do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, too, I'm too stressed out and worried. I'm like biting yeah. my nails all the time because it's kind of nerve-wracking. What do I do? Is that what you ask me? Yeah. What is a cinematographer? Yeah. Just for people listening, like myself, who don't know what that is. <laughs> well, people say, like, I'm responsible for the look of the film, but it, it's actually not true. Yeah. Um, the cinematographer obviously puts it, you know, used to be on film, now on a chip. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, you're lighting and designing the moves, choosing the camera, choosing the crew, and putting that story making it visual and putting it recording it you know through oh. the lens so how is what you do different from what the director does because the director is in charge it makes the choices and is boss for everything from production design to casting okay to editing to how the day is done to how the thing is shot every little okay. thing it has to pass through his hands okay the little logo that's on the jacket you know um the color of that table whatever yeah Obviously, there's, they can be involved to lesser or greater degrees by sure. saying, you know, production designer, take care of that, and, you know, yeah. just showing you that's fine. Um, and for the cinematographer, there's degrees as well, because the, the director might say, you know, give me the finder, I want a 21 millimeter right here, we're going to start the room here, move this way. And some directors will say, I just want to do a shot, you line it up, and choose the lenses. Okay. So the relationship might change. Okay. But it never changes that I have a hand in designing the shots and, you know, lighting the shots. And um, and most of that, by the way, is done in prep because you're on the in prep for months before the movie starts because you kind of don't just show up and mm. in a restaurant and say, huh, what are we going to do today? Yeah. Let's see. Get the lights <laughs> out of the truck. Let me think about this. You know, as the time. You got to buy the, the fish. Yeah. yeah, you fish. Know. yeah. So, you know, on a scout and with the rest of the crew, you're there you know designing the shot where the light should be where should we put lights which direction are we not going to see so you have to take that all into account in designing not just the shots but designing that day in that area of how you're going to get through that day mm-hmm. in that one day or half a day or two days and with you know the clock ticking try to make it look good too because if you screw up it's on blu-ray forever <laughs> <laughs> like you know magic show okay i screwed up but it's no one's gonna remember that you know yeah. that's what i was Telling Homer, I would see that the Copperfield show is so polished, you know, because they do it over and over and over again. And I go, that's not fair because when I do that shot, that's the one time. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I hope it worked because that's the one shot I had and it's going to last forever. Yeah. Can't practice. You have that's, to call. So every, it is a lot of pressure. Yeah. You have to call upon everything that you, that's in your toolkit to get through that day and hopefully there's you're lucky be, make it look good there's got to be crazy problems that come up that you have to solve like always lickety split always yeah is that how do how does all of this like bleed into your appreciation and experience of magic 
oh, because I could think of, you know, that person didn't show up and that light's broken and we're seeing it to something over there. Yeah. Oh, well, then maybe we just change this so we don't see that over there. Or I'll put a thing here blocking it, you know, because we don't see it. Or what? What if we cut around it and have this kind of shot, maybe you won't notice the other thing. So uh -huh. it, cuts, it cuts down in its essence of what you see and when it's edited later, what your perception of what's happening, you know, if, even though it may not really be happening, which is basically what a magic trick is. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're curating what the person sees and thinks they see or feels when it's not really that at all. And do you try to, how do you, what's your approach to that? What do you mean? So, like, you were telling me earlier that when you do a magic trick, you want the magic to be the focal point, and oh, yeah. you don't want to be... Right. The attention shouldn't be on you. So how do you do that in your work? Oh, the attention. Actually, that's a good point because when I, there are some cinematographers that are, um, that are amazing, that I admire, and you can tell their work immediately because I'm on the screen and I know who that is mm -hmm. because that's their work and their style, you know, like a painter or an artist. Mm -hmm. um, my approach is slightly different because at least as I get older, I realize I'm more in the service of the director, which is why all my films, even though some common thread, um, they look quite different. Mm -hmm. And they have quite a different feel because I like to adapt like a chameleon depending on not only the scene but on the whole project. I love that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, unfortunately, it doesn't mean like my name will be in history because... Because you have this style that yes. everybody can point out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... You're the great chameleon. Kind of. And that's, and, and, I think that's even cooler. Really? Yeah, because you're like a living magic trick. Interesting. Living dun, 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 dun. Dun. <laughs> magic trick. It's freaking me out. Yeah, it's freaking me out now. You're right. <laughs> it's pretty cool, though, right? Like, so, I, like, okay. <sighs> I lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> More whiskey. More whiskey. Um, the fact that you want to be at the service of the director and kind of disappear into... I mean, you're like an actor yourself in that way. It's like you're disappearing into the role of the director's vision. Hopefully. And then I'm not the actor who says, no, I would never do that. I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. And the director's like... <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I'm not saying those cinematographers I admire are doing that. They yeah. adapt thing too but I but I take it to an extreme because um, even to the point of I have this weird thing like it's confounding to my crew a lot of times where well, like the scene or person I'm like no 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 this is wrong it looks too good oh that's funny it's the too perfect theory yeah totally I was like no because look I can't look this good it's uh, the room they but we have to make it look beautiful and, uh, where's that line where I want to use the uglier light to make a mood even though the person doesn't look great and it's, it's a it's tough right yeah because if you're doing a, a really star based vehicle uh -huh. you know then you better make those actors look good yeah but there's certain times where if I've had to like tread that line where mm. um, it looks too good yeah does that make you uncomfortable <laughs> kind of because I know exactly how to make it look good but I don't do it so at the same time I go like that's ballsy. You know, my crew goes, why? I don't understand. I'm like, oh, no, I don't know. I can't, can't explain it. Yeah, where do you get that intuitive? I don't know. Well, the perfect example is Batman versus Superman. Like, no pressure. 
Yeah. All those Batmans and then, you know, Chris Nolan and Wally Pfister who shot it and it looks they looked amazing and it was a game changer. So I thought, mm-hmm. okay, now I'm tackling Superman, Batman. How what you know, am I gonna only, bring to the Only story? the greatest superheroes ever created. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'm doing tests and I'm looking at movies and I'm staying up at night and thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What was some of your inspiration for working on BBS? Inspiration? You well, you said you're looking at movies, and I just oh, I would just randomly look at stuff, and also Zach would give me DVDs that I thought this has nothing to do with anything. What's he trying to tell me? And you have to interpret that too. It's like being a mind reader, like what? Because there's no scene that when they show you a photograph or a DVD that you're gonna make it look like that. But yeah, you have to go like, what are they? It's like, a good thing you got all that very gallum material there. <laughs> you saw that? Yeah, you got it right next to the James Randi stuff. Oh well, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, you have to read minds, and then so you have yeah. to. Um, I was thinking, you know, I, we're doing screen tests when we had Ben Affleck in the first Batman suit and whatever, and yeah. I thought, well, you know what? There's no reason to make it look gorgeous. He's in a he's in a rubber suit, mm-hmm. and you don't see his face. So if he's darkness, and you know he's a badass, and he yeah. works at night. He how, doesn't have how, to be pretty. Right. Yeah. How dark can you make the shadows? How hard can you make the, the his key light? Mm-hmm. Because it's not like, you know, you're trying it's to... It's not like he's course. got the quaff. Right. You gotta you see nothing. Correctly. You see his mouth, right? Yeah. So my bet was the harder the light, then the more badass he was going to look. Yeah. It's an easy default. When a photographer first learns about soft light, they go, wow, now I can make people look good. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you go softer, softer, bigger, bigger, and you have all these tricks, but then... You know, it's like sugar. The more you put on it, then it becomes so sweet that you yeah. have, you know, it's too cloying. So when you can get the chance to do hard light, then go really aggressive and do it. Yeah. So I just I made so Batman, Superman. A lot of it was harder light, more than I would normally do. Um, but that's not every shot. There's plenty sure, of shots that of are soft and beautiful and great. But but my point is that. You don't always want something to look good, to mm-hmm. tell the story. Yeah. Now you're serving the story. It's dark. Com- look, it's only comic books. But if you have dark, complex things that are that are deal with um, dark issues, yeah, then the movie should probably look dark and ominous. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that magic should learn from. Is you you've got to serve the story. And for magic, you have to <laughs> like most magicians don't even realize they need a story. Hmm. You know. Like what? What role are you playing? Okay, so you're a magician. Okay, what are you? What does that mean? You do magic tricks. Okay, well, what's the purpose of doing magic tricks? Well, you have to fool people. Okay, so what? Who cares? People are fooled by their iPhones all the time. Like, what are you trying to do? Yeah. Well, I want them to be entertained. Well, that's a bullshit answer. What does that even mean? They could, you know, you could. They could be sad and be entertained, or they could be happy. But what do you want from the audience? Okay, well, I want them to this is. You know, they have to serve this thing. They have to like understand the reaction that they want. They have to understand the way they want to affect people. Mm-hmm. And that's to me, that's the point of beautiful film is that you're affecting the people viewing it. You're, I mean. You're watching a thing. You sit down and you just take in a thing. Mm-hmm. It's two-dimensional. You just observe it. Right. I went and saw Moana, and I cried like eight times during that movie. Right? Really? I've never cried Wait, during... cartoon? Yes. The new Disney movie. 
I was I was like on the verge of tears most of the movie. Really? Yes. I'm also a huge sappy baby. But that doesn't take away from the fact that that movie did that to me. Yeah. Right. And I'm not putting Moana and BBS next to each other and saying this is how but you know like the really successful big beautiful projects where there's a lot of collaboration, a lot of love that go into it move people period magicians go out and they do tricks and people go <laughs> that was my card <laughs> right you know and i'm guilty of it i mean i just i do ambitious card like everybody else and there's not really okay. I, I like mine night. but yeah you know but there's like um i think if you're gonna be a performer and call yourself like a like a like bill yourself as a magician. You have to have a higher standard of wanting to affect people. And you have to think about your show like it was a movie. Think about the framing. Think about, you know, every pain, every every shot, every thing. I don't know, I'm just rambling now. No, but you're you're right. I think uh the funny thing is too, when you do magic, I mean you're you're Finding cars that are lost, making coins do this, you're do, you know, reading minds. It's pretty amazing, but as you're talking, I'm realizing that comparing it to film, you know, film is the ultimate deception, or movies, because movies are really kind of silly when you think about it, because they're just these people um, walking around, saying things, listening to the other person saying things, mm-hmm. saying things they shouldn't say, and then cry, and then... And then blowing shit up. And then blush it up. And then they get together and they're in love. And then you cry. And then you leave. And (laughs) in an hour and a half later, you leave. And you've given your hard-earned money. Yeah. Not only are those people, by the way, fake. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew that. They're not really in love. They're just people. Yeah. And they're not really saying those lines. Someone wrote those lines. Mm -hmm. And they're just walking around circles because that's what the director told them to do. And then this swelling music making, oh, that's really sad. Oh, that's really happy. Oh, my God. And then... Not only that, but they're not even real people. Yeah, it's not a stage play. Mm-hmm. It's just these these projections of light moving on this white rectangle. Mm-hmm. They're images of people yeah. walking around, saying things, listening to people, and crying, and then you cry too. And then, but somehow, then they make people give up millions of dollars. They take millions of dollars to make this movie, and then they they make billions, and people around the world pay billions of dollars to go into this room. Or see the rectangle at home and see people walking around moving in situations. And mm-hmm. Do things like you do. But you're watching a different person. Famous person. Yeah. Say things. I guess. <laughs> it's worth it. To give all your money. Yeah. <laughs> spend your Friday night. Well, I mean, the same thing could be said of going to a sushi place and spending a lot of money on sushi. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but my point is that magic, at least these magical things are happening. Yeah. It's pretty mundane in an average movie. Yeah, some decades robots and they blow up the world, but yeah. other ones, people are just talking and fall in love and then they get mad and they fight and then one person dies and a gun yeah. comes out at some point and then something happens and then they're in love. And then yeah. All these words of names go at the end. And <laughs> take more money. <laughs> so it's a weird business. Right? It is, yeah, it's totally. Like super weird. Is that, yeah. is that how magical it is that people are willing to I think so. I, well, feel emotions? I mean, sure. There's... No one cries during magic shows. Huh? No one cries during magic shows. Hardly. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes. That's what I'm saying. Is like, But they laugh. Well. Kind of. 
Not necessarily because it's funny. They laugh out of surprise, maybe. And that's the thing is like films or stand-up comedy, the, the, the really artistically beautiful things are speaking to some kind of universal truth in mm-hmm. humanity. And magic doesn't do that often. Magic has the potential to do that. Magicians don't often do that. Hmm. Which is why I love stand-up comedy so much is because in this current wave of it, it's all about authenticity and shared experience and... Connecting. Yeah. And I think that's what films do. Is you all go in and sit down and you go, okay, this is fake, let's all be in it together. And then you watch this fake thing happen in front of you and it moves you in one way or another. You either love it and you experienced 50 different emotions or you hated it and experienced 50 different emotions. You know, But you experienced. You, right. you, you had feelings. You weren't just entertained. <laughs> but how can you connect with a magician when they're performing? Not often. I don't. Personally. Well, the reason you know you're connecting is because, like, oh, I don't want this to end. Yeah. Or I want to take them home with me and continue. Like, I want to buy them a drink and keep talking and. Or I want to see the, yeah, I want to see the show again. I want to, yeah. That's how I felt with the other day with Kayla Drescher. Uh huh. She was doing this magic and this, her whole thing down there in the WC Fields bar. And she was just engaging and, um, that I didn't want to end. Yeah, really didn't want to. And it was over. Like, oh man, come on, maybe get a drink at the bar. Like, say something funny. It just cracks me up. Mm-hmm. You know. And um, I just really surprised. My friends were like, "You really like, like you really like that?" And what about the other magicians? You know, is it because she's a cute girl? Like, no, no, no. It's not that. It's just it's really she was seeing, like you said, authenticity. Yeah, really seeing authentic to me, mm-hmm. and um, engaging, which means like that's when you don't want it to, to end. Yeah. And, Sometimes, you know, you, you'll see just the magic trick, magic trick, magic trick, and it ends, and you're like, okay, that was the five tricks, time to clear the room for the next thing. And they have nothing to do with the other. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. More whiskey. Uh, yeah, Where sure, the cat if you go? Want. Where did the cat go? Here. <laughs> What's the cereal story? Well, actually, it's just name dropping, so maybe. Never mind. <laughs> I don't. It's I don't really end of the story. Oh, okay. <laughs> doesn't have anything to do with JJ, does it? Yes. Did you know that? You said name dropping. They're they're both connected. Really? Yes. Are you still so? recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, <sighs> JJ. Um, if you want to know the JJ story, you can look it up. It's online. I don't want to tell the whole JJ story all over again. Is it really? That's funny. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you this. JJ Abrams, I met him when he was 12 years old. How do you Very mean? funny. I, I didn't live near him, but my friend that did live near me, his parents were divorced, and his dad lived far away and so in a really cool house. So sometimes he said, hey, come with me and spend the weekend. Mm-hmm. We're in high school. And JJ lived across the street from the really cool house. Yes. Okay. And we would make little movies, me and my friend, and he'd come over and say, hey, I make movies too. So he's this very energetic kid um, who would like to make movies and super... <laughs> this is a fake story. I don't believe this. It sounds fake, right? <laughs> I'm like, who's this guy? And then he said, come on over and have ice cream. 
You know, and I okay. How old so were you was, when he was twelve? I was a few years older. Okay. And um, so he invites me over, and in his bedroom he has like musical instruments, ton of books, movie books, monster makeup books, magic books, all the same books I have. Uh-huh. I'm like, wow, I didn't know those other weird nerds had interested in all these. <laughs> he had a Tannins catalog. I had oh, one of those. And he goes, we got to keep in touch. So, you know, we kept in touch. Eventually, I was in, I went to UCLA near him. We kept in touch. He went overseas. We've just always been friends. And mm-hmm. um, thinking, hey, maybe one day we'll be in the movies. Because I wanted to go to film school. Yeah. And he wanted to make movies, too. Well, it's too bad that didn't work out for you Yeah, guys. it's too bad it didn't work out for us. Because we just gave up on our dreams. <laughs> As you're wearing your Skywalker oh Ranch t-shirt. Oh, my God. <laughs> but really, we're just like living in suburbs and like, who knows. I mean, his dad was in the business. My dad was a dentist. You know, I lived in the suburbs far away. But eventually I went to film school. His dad did not want him to go to film school, so he went overseas and he was at some liberal arts college. But um, what was the point of this whole story? Cyril. Yes. (laughs) JJ was also a big fan of magic, Uh and we both knew some magic tricks. And at one point he got really good, and I go, what's going on there? And And it turns out that, you know, he went to the magic shop, which was... Hollywood Magic, mm-hmm. brick and mortar place on Hollywood Boulevard, not there anymore. And he asked the guy at the counter, "Will you tutor me?" I'm like, "What? That's cheating." <laughs> so that's when he, "What? How'd you do that?" That's a double undercut. What? <laughs> right. So he passed me up. But years and years later, as he became uh, world famous and running his empire, he's kind of too busy to do magic, mm-hmm. unlike me. So guess who's better at magic now? Me, much better. But you're he the, will call me. JJ, up. suck it. He suck it, suck it. <laughs> but he he always had this habit of calling me in the middle of the night. Going, Larry saw this magic trick. How did they do it? And um, I can't do exposure, of course. But I remember sure. in college, he uh, it was so funny. I remember I think it was a fax because that's how it was. <laughs> and he goes, I was in this coffee shop, and this girl had these two matches, and one leaned up on her hand, and like it jumped around. It was like it was alive. Uh, what? And then I go to my then only 20 book collection, Mark Wilson Encyclopedia, of course, the jumping matchstick thingy. Yeah. And so it started, this, every so often he'd call me and say, how is this done? How is that done? And now I have the power because I'm like, oh, I can't tell you that. <laughs> how do the rubber bands go through each other? I can't tell you. Ooh, that's expensive. <laughs> but but he, uh, 10 years ago, can't remember the timeline, he, he said, hey, what's going on in the magic world? And I said, well, you know, this new thing called YouTube, and there's a guy on there, this Japanese magician that's doing these crazy things. He's like David Blaine. He's super cool. You should watch it. And then maybe six months go by, and I, he calls me up in the morning and said, you got to come to my office right now. And I said, why? And he said, that guy, that Japanese guy is going to be in my office. I'm like, why? He goes, I'll tell you later. Just come over. So I go over there, and apparently after he saw those videos, his people contacted Cyril's people, for those of you who don't know, Cyril is like the Copperfield of Japan, and internet hero, and many TV specials, does mm-hmm. live shows, he's, he's amazing. Um, so I meet Cyril, and he does magic, and we're hanging out, and he kind of goes like, why am I here? <laughs> and JJ does this, he goes, I don't know, you seem a cool person, I just wanted to meet you. Really? Okay. So we hung out, and whatever, he gave out gifts, as the Japanese do. Uh-huh. And he made sushi. No, he doesn't. <laughs> the um, 
But he did get an American agent through this whole thing. And for some reason, he contacted me and said, I have an American American representation out, and it's all because of you, because you told JJ about me, and so I owe you dinner. So he bought me dinner, and we went out, and um, his friend Rico, Enrico de la Vega, mm-hmm. one of his oldest friends, came out too. And we instantly like became super good friends. And besides Homer, that was around the same time, one of my early relationships with... An amazing group of magicians had I had no right to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, but that affected me because, you know, with Cyril and his thinking, Enrico and his group of friends, and his group of friends were, of course, um, go back Magic X when they were young and they were juniors at the Magic Castle. It was like Justin Willman and um, Danny Cole mm-hmm. and. Um, I'm forgetting the rest of them, but that was part of my whole like transition, <laughs> my transition phase yeah. to go like be surrounded by cool magicians. And um, this whiskey was a gift from Cyril. When he comes to LA, he usually stays here with me, and um, it's just really surreal. Where I go, hey, I get him drunk and go, how'd you do that one trick on that special? And he's super drunk. It's two in the morning. Oh, that one. And then he get out the scissors and cardboard and he'll start to. <laughs> you know, share these secrets with me because, like, his stuff is complex and yeah. mechanical and stuff that he's thought of and is made. Right? Wow. He doesn't just sure he has consultants, but sure. he he does the work. He stays up all night. He's the hardest working guy. I don't know if you've met him. Or I've never or, met him, but, but he thinks of a lot of stuff himself and makes his own things. And he's just amazing mind and a great person. That's and really cool. Knows about sushi. <laughs> That's important. That continues to be a theme. <laughs> Well, does JJ have a go-to trick? He has a few, and I have to say that they're pretty simple, but he can make anything super entertaining. Yeah. Because he's so quick-witted, and things he say, you're laughing, and you can't breathe even before like anything's happened. It's so entertaining that I, I love it. I love the stuff he does. And I keep trying to point him towards different you know, people or books or DVDs, and um, sadly, he's super busy. I'm supposed to teach him Crazy Man handcuffs like for the last two years now. <laughs> he has no idea how it's done. Awesome. I love it. He's obsessed with the Zero Shuffle, but he doesn't have yes. Crazy Man handcuffs. He is. He did see Derek's show, and he's was you know I was showing him different things. I don't think it was exposure because he has a lot of magic books. But uh-huh. we're talking about the Zero Shuffle, and he started to get obsessed with it. And I said, no, Don't get obsessed with it. <laughs> no, please no. That's not where you. That's not what you want to be doing. Also, do you? What are your go-to tricks? Even though you like things to be organic, like what's kind of the flavor of it? The like the card tricks, mm-hmm. like you or said, just like whatever you, you know. Mm. Well, what about like, the card tricks? Well, like lately, yeah. you know, like you said, I'll, ambitious card. I hate to say it, but. If I was at the Magic Castle doing it, it'd be cliche. But since we just do it at parties, it's awesome. Yeah, People it love is. It. It's totally awesome. Yeah. So many awesome, you know, kickers and things. But mm-hmm. but I improvise. It's not always the same same way twice. Yeah. Um, you do improvise. Do you do that a lot? Is that do you like to jazz when you're doing? Yeah, magic? I think I, think I do. I think I do. Um, and you know what I'm playing with lately is the those butterfly cards. Yeah. Those are cool. Andres, Those are pretty cool. Andre's cards are rad. Yeah. Um, do you do a lot of jazzercising with those? 
Um, no, I just do two or three things with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I need to do more. Basically, I'm saying. Well, what I'm, do you do? I'm saying I'm too busy. What? Yeah, I understand. When you're when you're doing magic for somebody, what does that look like? Well, I try to do ordinary the ordinary objects thing. Yeah. So if you're in a restaurant, you know, it's all the, the kind of things with you. Or I try to do a thing with rings or simple mentalism type things. Um, yeah, basic, basic. Like I try to come up with things with. Um, the everyday thing like the, this <laughs> you know that little square the card reader that goes in your iPhone yes I was going through my drawers I found the other day and I came up with something I think a couple of magic lives ago you know the card that's a little white square thing yeah this is my type of magic I made this up mm-hmm. so um, I think Homer had one for some reason I think he was doing photos so he had the square right okay. the white thing yeah, that yeah, plugs yeah. In. yeah so I go oh this is funny so uh, wait until a layman came by I said hey uh, pick a card and um, they pick a card put it back in the deck and I go um, oh no I took it I go I'm going to be able to read your mind and be able to tell what this card was and um, then of course I can't do it and then I pull out my iPhone and it has a card reader and I go look card reader hold on so you slide it through like the credit card yeah like nothing and then like <laughs> blow in there, turn the card the other way the and then like on the screen appears yeah. the card and like oh what that was your card woo a card reader yuck 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 but I mean I just thought of that and like prepared in like a matter of minutes because in yeah. the Homer and I was cracking up because you know it's when you, you think of those things at the spur of the moment because they're so stupid <laughs> and stupid that's me yeah stupid okay. tricks that's what I like you like stupid, stupid. tricks stupid what so define stupid because I that is a kind of stupid I get that I understand that but like Oh, God. When I hang out with Homer, we come up with a lot of stupid tricks, I think. um, (laughs) Do you have any examples? Oh, my gosh. No, because they usually just go off into the ether and then never never seen again. Yeah. But there's that funny one with the... uh, Did you see that thing on my Instagram? That was pretty funny. No. Homer goes, hey, look, I found this thing. uh, It's a David Copperfield color-changing rope. Mm -hmm. And um, that's cool. And then so... It's like, how would you ever use that? <laughs> it changes from white to red. Yeah. Vice versa. But I had this movie over here, and then Homer's recording. I'm like, hey, record this. And I go, I have this white, I say it's a power cable. Uh-huh. I go, Homer, have you seen the red power cable? You know, and I'm looking for it, and then I hold on, it turns red, right? Go, yeah. Oh, never mind. You got it right here. Oh, that's cute. Super. <laughs> it's like the equivalent of dad jokes. Yes. Dad joke magic. Dad it's joke a new magic. Thing. I love that. It's, do you? I do. I, I love that for two reasons. One, I love dad jokes. <laughs> two, because like magic is inherently powerful because you're doing something seemingly impossible. To make it to like actively make it mundane and trivial, I think is a hilarious subversion. Oh. And I love it. So like, hey, have you seen hmm. the power cable? Boom. You know, I got it. You know, like that just like <laughs> just not reacting to it, being like, oh nope. Yeah, I found it. You know, just that that kind. That's like my sense of humor. I well, good. That. I, mean, I saw. I actually laughed out loud seeing it, which is weird. So, <laughs> yeah. So then maybe that's a whole new thing. How we, you know, maybe that's that's the uh, a new genre. Yeah, it's that kind of dry anti magic. Like there's anti jokes. Yeah, you know. But people do that, right? I can't think right now. I know there are performers that. Um, 
I guess he can't sustain a whole act like that. Yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, like, the Carbonero thing is kind of... Yeah. You know, what? Do you know that's my favorite show in the whole world? world? Is it? Every time I'm sad, I have it all on my DVR. Yeah. I can watch it any time, and I'm just, like, a new person again. It's my secret weapon. It's yeah. It's my favorite thing in the world. Why? I love it. Tell me about it. I just it. love it. It's, just, it's that kind of thing. It's the idea of taking something amazingly magical right. and the performer being totally, totally unimpressed by it. Right. It's the opposite. It's yeah. like meta. And also the, the, the people that he's doing the tricks for, you know, they're not like, yeah, yeah, right? They're just yeah. like, what? You know, the, the other day, like, there's some museum piece and he said, you know, don't let it go away. And then she turns and he leaves and she looks and it's gone, right? Uh-huh. And then he comes back and it's back and she doesn't understand it and they play back the video we see her going like this shocked but it's still the whole time it's you can see it on the surveillance camera you yeah know, trick something and it's so great because she just goes this is like night of the museum i don't like it <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know why i just play it over and over again because you can get that response because they're allowed to say things and respond where in yeah. the magic in a magic situation you're not allowed to say anything yeah it's you can go a- what or yeah. how'd you do that? Or, oh my god, it's the three things you can say. Yeah, but actually articulate something that has to do with the situation and it's part of you, and then and that's that's part of the entertainment. Yeah, I wish there's you know more ways to make that happen. Yeah, I think just to go back to the the performer being totally unimpressed. Some of you know my favorite, uh, like you know you're watching a piano player. There's a YouTube channel called Player Piano, and it's this like daggum Russian savant listening to music and then like arranging a new version immediately and playing what? it. She's she's absolutely incredible, phenomenal. And so they do these really cool YouTube videos. There's like a Star Wars mashup video, and it's like super high quality production. They've got like these custom pianos made that like it looks like the Millennium Falcon, and like it's it's insane. And she like will write arrangements and and things of this like an oh, it's Star Wars overture kind of thing, but she's very expressive and like you know she's it's fucking amazing. But she's like really into it, and she's unbelievably talented. I also like the opposite of that, which is someone just as unbelievably talented as her. And I don't have an example of this, but I like this idea. Somebody just as talented as her sitting at a shitty piano and it being like a cell phone recording, you know, where they're, they're recording it like this instead of sideways. And <laughs> and it's a guy just like leaning back in a chair and he's just like playing the most beautiful, elegant music, but he looks so bored and unaffected. And like, that <laughs> cracks me up. It's like somebody doing something truly masterfully and just not giving any fucks. <laughs> that is cool. I like that. That I seems like, that, like that kind of dad jokey magic sort of. Yeah. You know? Hmm. Well, that's the opposite of an applause cue, right? Because. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. But it, but it, in and of happen? itself, it kind of like brings on this own weird energy in the audience, you know? Right. Like at this point. Can you do that? I don't think you can perform that way, can you, though? Could you? I mean, could you? You could try. Why wouldn't you be able to? As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, Patton Oswalt closed one of his stand-up specials with 
a story about kind of what we're talking about, actually. So he was talking about being on the I don't remember what special it is, um, but he's talking about being on the road at one point in his career. And he was booked with a magician. And they were supposed to get paid like $25 for the gig, both of them. Like each were supposed to get paid $25. And they were only... Go ahead. Yeah. <sighs> Excuse me. Hello? Yes, yeah, so this is Chris Kenner. Yes, it is. How are you? Good. I'm doing a podcast. No way. Do you want to uh, contribute? Yeah. Hey, how come you're not on this podcast? Why am I on this and you aren't? You're famous. I'm not. I'm, why would I be on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I've mentioned you a couple times already. And it's not like I haven't asked, oh. Chris. Oh. I know. I know. You bet. No worries. One of these days. We'll just I'm talk about clothes. Time. What are you doing? Yeah, we've been talking about magic and not magic and things and life and. Um, well, you just you have to promise that you'll tip your. Uh, you know, will you throw the, the filters into the thing? Yeah. You need to tell that story about throwing your the filters up into the thing. That's like super magic trick to me is any trick. The filters into the, oh. Show, any <laughs> oh. I know what I you're talking what about. Artist out there, I don't care. Jack Mueller, all those guys. That's funny, you know, I mentioned you because I talked about the uh, color-changing rope that you were a master of. Oh, and, then, <laughs> and also the, uh, the uh, stagehand in Alberta that talked about the self-tying shoelace. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He just, uh, came right up to us. Oh, no, I'm fine. Yeah, he's a magician. He did this. He's like, what? Huh? That's crazy. <laughs> that was when you, that was on uh, Seuss, Seuss, what was the, uh, what was the name of the song, or the movie, uh, God, what was that movie? Was that Watchmen? The, 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 oh, the did I? Movie, the, oh, the Watchmen. Watchmen. That we did it. Oh, was it Watchmen? I thought it was the one with the girls. Oh, Sucker Punch? Was that it? Yeah, Sucker Punch. Sucker oh, okay. Punch, yeah. Gotcha. It's one of those. One of those. They're both filmed up there, I think. One of those. Alrighty, my friend. Well, you you get back to your podcast and uh, make sure to tip your chinky chink to him. Oh, <laughs> I will tell him the story about the tossing the uh, thing in the light. Thanks for reminding me. Oh, God. You have, you have to because it's a great story. It's great. It's just a great thing. Okay. Alrighty, man. Well, you enjoy. You're the best. As, as, and and obviously, Elliot knows you're the best. So, talk to you soon. Okay. Happy New Year. Merry right. Christmas. Okay. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. Yeah, he's talking about the, um, you know, we have big lights on the set. Sometimes, super primitive, but there's these scrims, they call them. Yeah. And it's a round metal thing. It's like a hoop, but it has kind of almost like window screen in it. It's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I you know put it in the yeah. light, it sure. reduces the light by... One quarter or one half, whatever. Okay. Um, half a stop or one stop, and they're called scrims. So <sighs> I do this thing kind of where I can throw them into the air, and then they land in the light that's you know 15 feet in the air, and land and slide into that slot. Very hard to explain. No, I got, I understand how what, like, but you can just you're good at it. You yeah, can just do it. I mean, it doesn't happen a lot of times. You know, it'll be there, and then someone's looking for the thing. I'll just grab it, and there's no ladder, and I'll just throw it and go. You know. I've developed this talent. So I think one, <laughs> I was doing a commercial. I think Homer and Chris were in town and they stopped by. And Chris can't believe it because at one point, you know, we're in a hurry. Where's the thing? You know, we can find it. And I just grab the thing and I can throw it nonchalantly like we we're talking about. Mm. And it goes in and I go, okay, roll. You know, so it's, it's cool. Yeah. Um, 
It is cool when it goes in because it's only like an inch yeah. you know, space, and the scrim is anywhere from twelve to you know foot and a half in diameter. Yeah, yeah. Or explain that Chris was impressed somehow. Clearly, he always talks about it. That's cool. Well, it goes back to that, like you know, those videos right now are super popular on Vine and Instagram in the Vine step, but Instagram and YouTube of like people like throwing basketballs into hoops oh, yeah, yeah. and not looking and like throwing uh-huh. hats onto each other. It's that same kind of like you're witnessing something amazing and impossible and the person doing it could yeah. not care less about it. So there's definitely an appeal there. I've, I have certainly watched a six-minute video of three-second clips of people throwing shit into weird... <laughs> like somebody like throwing their toothbrush into a cup next to the sink from like ten feet away. Staring it's a, it's at a the thing, camera. right? Yeah. Oh, so but to get back to the Patton Oswalt story. Him and a magician both were getting paid. Yeah, and so the, the club owner's like, oh, I'm only going to give you 20 bucks. And the magician gets super pissed off. And so he goes up on stage. As Patton tells it, he goes up on stage and he does his show, but he doesn't care about anything. So he's like, you know, here's one long rope. Boom, now it's three ropes. Okay. And he throws it down into this bucket, you know, where his props go when he's done the trick. Here's a silk. Now it's gone. Okay. Throws the prop down, grabs the other thing. You know, and uh, Patton's like, he's sitting in the back of the room laughing hysterically because this guy's good technically but is just so fucking mad and doesn't care about it you know he's doing this amazing tricks and is just like totally throwing everything away well that should be a, that should be a, a shtick I think that would be really funny I think somebody should do that what seems if there's like already a, somebody doing seems it like I just don't know I've seen something like that right I, I feel like there's something out there but I don't know what it is yeah, or like in a hurry. Like I've seen that kind of thing. Like you only have, you have to do this really quickly. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. But to like be write an act. Like yeah. write 30 minutes, 45 minutes, where you just throw Angry. away magic tricks <laughs> angrily at the audience. <laughs> it sounds amazing. I would love to see that. You Probably know better see that for real because he's really... The... Oh yeah, totally. But you know, what would be a, where where would be a good place to do that? Right there, right here. Do you want to tell the people my idea for my backyard? Yeah, please. You tell them. Oh, so Larry's got this beautiful backyard, and it's surrounded by trees, and it's like a nice little oasis. And he's got this nice big space that he wants to turn into a stage and host like cool, exclusive parties where people can go up and perform, and yeah, it would just be rad. Music, magic. Music, magic, theater. But Louder Milk is not dance. allowed to get naked. Uh, Brett has to keep his clothes on. How's that going to happen? <laughs> I think he's pretty good about keeping them on most of the time. I don't know. I, I, think, I, I think I've seen him naked like probably a dozen times. That's more than I should ever see any man naked. <laughs> I think probably you've seen him naked more than most people. I, I've only seen him naked twice. So. Okay. Well, actually, not naked, but yeah. G-string. G-string. The G-string is pretty close to naked. Yeah. <laughs> was it was that one pink or was it nude colored? The one I saw was pink. He probably would not like that. I'm forget, talking yeah, about it's it. not it's really. But he also will probably not listen to this. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> he's a busy guy. That being said, I love Brett. I love Brett too. He's, he's, he's wonderful. Um, okay. 
So how does how do you do you do magic on set? Do you use it as a way to break ice because you're uh, an introvert? Because uh, I do. Sometimes. No, because at work that's not really the place to do that. I will try. I will do that as a giving thing. I will kind of if you know literally if someone's waiting for paint to dry or there's a big delay. Mm-hmm. I mean normally it's not great because when there's a delay it's you know we're waiting on the lighting. It's usually me, so <laughs> I can really be. Uh, you have you know, other discerning. Priorities. Yeah. Make sure it's obvious that something bad is happening and we have a second to kill. Yeah, you're or not just lunch. dicking around. Yeah. Sure. Can, hey, watch Magic Creek. Can you watch this? So, um, <laughs> Wouldn't that be so funny? Though? Like, it's not funny to think about, but it's kind of funny to think about if somebody's just... Again, it goes back to what we were just talking about. Somebody just totally blowing off their multi-million dollar job and just being like, hey, do you want to see a car trick? Great. Yeah, the producer walks by. And, yeah. like, what and you like look here? at the producer and you're like, hey, come here. Come see them. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. Anyway, so yeah. But if the situation is bad, is is good, then you know uh, there's you have the moment. Yeah. If there's the moment, then I'll, you know, hey, time for a trick or coming back from lunch or something, and um, you know, but there's a re- cool situations because the other day, you know, there's a pool table, so it was a perfect opportunity for me to do, you know, any factors. Be honest. Mm-hmm. What is it? Is that what's called? More commonly known as two card Monty, but. David Roth's tabled version. I'm not familiar with that. So good. Because I saw him do it in a magic shop. Yeah. You saw Roth do it in a magic yes. shop? Yes. I saw him do magic tricks in a, card tricks in a magic shop. And he did two tricks of that and another one to me. And you're probably going to ask later. Like, you're fooled badly. But the first one that I haven't seen, because you know everyone does it now since David Blaine did the in the air two card money. Um, uh-huh. David Roth did the on the counter, uh-huh. and the way he presented, I, I was shaking, trembling. Wow, shaking! That's yeah, awesome. Roth. That's um, an unbelievably powerful trick. Yeah, it, it's ridiculously strong. Why is it so strong? But his version's long. It's not this. It wasn't this. Like, it was yeah. like three, four minutes. Wow, but talking like like conversations and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll show you later, maybe. And then Ooh, so, um, what was my point? Oh yeah, so I did that trick on this pool table in front of everyone because it was lunchtime, you know. And then, mm-hmm. it's, and people are bored. It's a fifteen-hour day. Like, oh cool, yay, that was awesome. You know, it kind of brightens up the day. Um, or if other opportunities come up, like we had a, a set for a commercial. And it had that you know one-way window glass, like that interview. So mm-hmm. a perfect opportunity for like card through window thing, you know, like that. There's, there's some original things, like back when you had to open the camera, the camera the card would appear in the camera. <laughs> There'd be um, craft service. I used that a lot. Yeah. Once they had a can of spam, and then I did selected card appeared in the can of spam. <laughs> Improvised, one time only, never done since, but it, people wow. remember that. I, I can imagine. Yeah, but it keeps your brain going. But it's good. And I think that's good rather than me you know, stressing out on the set. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, I can do it. I get my friend, hey, do you want to help me do this thing? And it kind of keeps your brain going and then you don't um, get you know, stressed out and angry. Yeah, is that and a like, way for you to kind of... Within reason, again. Or... Yeah, it's not, it's not something that you're just like... <laughs> There's no one like the set, but he's trying to figure out how to make that card appear and whatever. Yeah. But uh, No, I understand you have to be careful here because you don't want to sound like you just slag off at work. It's but... more like multitasking. Yeah. I mean, JJ, when he directs, he, he's sitting there and he's playing... Word of friends here, and he has a MIDI keyboard here, and he's doing he's sometimes shuffling cards, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you can do it, and then then you can 
and prove they can do a good job then I think yeah do you do do you use a lot of magic we talked about that we briefly touched on it earlier but do you do a lot of or use a lot of magic methodology in in the filmmaking yeah I think um, magic a lot of it is visual right Mm -hmm. so you can in a clever way do things quicker or more efficiently when you know when you can break down the thing into what do we really see and what we don't see mm-hmm. and I think people always mention this and this is not the best example but we had to get a shot really quick and the sun was going down and it was on Lost the pilot for Lost that I did with JJ and we need all this close up to the guys running you know and usually you have to have a track or whole thing and take forever and we're in the jungle and just no way to do it so we just got a real long lens and it's not new or anything but just stood in place and then everyone just kind of ran in place and then waved branches before in front of them and like they're breaking through these things but they're just basically running in place that's cool and with people in the background moving trees and stuff I mean again people do it all the time or in cars when the car is not driving but you just have to think can I make this thing ex- look exactly the same but a much quicker and easier way yeah for example and when you're driving cars car work takes forever but if you can have the guy driving and you're not really driving then you save a ton of time. And again, everyone does this, but there are tricks you can do to just have the person in the car doing nothing, and the car and the camera, and what you do with the light to make it seem like they're driving around. And you know, um, at its worst, you just wave lights around and you wiggle the camera a lot. But it's best you do other crazy tricks that I'm not going to go into because they're my pr- 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 secret. pr- pr- proprietary secrets. Ooh, look at that! What do you? What's your goal? As a cinematographer, do you have a goal? That's a good. One. That's a good question. You know, the, it's, it's an artistic expression. I just wonder. You know. Well, everyone wants the goal to be like to finish the movie on time and on budget, <laughs> make the days. Mm-hmm. You know. Very seldom are people saying, "Hey, the things look great today." Um, but when the movie's all done, they realize. Um, I, only because I read this in an article the other day where they're talking about my work in some article it, it was that um, because a lot of people were talking about me working with Zach all the time yeah and you know uh, lately I've been working with other directors and the article is about how I can take I guess a story or a director director's project and I don't know if elevate was the word but in that situation mm-hmm. do as much as I can to make that story interesting and look good well not good because we talked about that but look appropriate yeah and memorable yeah i guess memorable beautiful unnecessarily right pretty in its own way yeah um whatever the material is yeah it's it's appropriate yeah yeah because think about it i mean the i did batman which is a comic movie yeah i'm about to do predator which is alien movie Uh um if you look at the movie I did with JJ, it was a movie about Super kids. Yeah. Although there was an alien. <laughs> it was basically a kid's story. Was that semi-autobiographical in nature? Super in a way, because I got a call from him and said, I'm doing a movie and you have to shoot it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds cool. So I get the script and I'm reading it and it's like kids. And I'm like, oh no, not kid's story. Kid coming of age stuff. And then I see that they're making movies and then this adventure that comes out of it. And I thought, oh, this is cool. I get it. You know, so semi-autobiographical, except for not the military and aliens. Oh, But okay. definitely the kids <laughs> trying to improvise and make I just thought fun. you didn't want to talk about that part of your life. 
<laughs> well, I'm sworn in secrecy. Oh, the aliens in the military? I yeah. yeah. I've signed an NDA. But JJ and I did make Super 8 movies together. Yeah. It's a fact. That's that right. We did that. And That's so it's super cool then when you can do that. And yeah. it's just hilarious because it's... The phone's ringing. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Okay. okay. Yeah, but um, but all the movies look different, right? Sucker yeah. Punch looks different from from Watchmen, which mm-hmm. looks different from. And the article three hundred elevate. Yeah, or take the material and at least um, do something with it, which yeah. I guess sounds silly when you think about it. But I try to come up with a spin or a look or a take on the visually on the project so that um, you know people. What's your creative process visual. in that? In creating like the. <sighs> The the style's not quite the right word, but like when you see a film or when you when you get a script and you, the director talks to you about like this is kind of what I'm going. How do you then like create like a vision board or whatever for the? I'm not explaining myself. On I'm not sure. Oh, Jeez. Homer Leewag. Jeez. <laughs> Hello, Homer. Hello. Hi, I'm in the middle of a podcast, but you probably knew that. <laughs> Podcast, uh, incredible cinematographers. <laughs> um, no, it's the 1990s one. No, it's a it's a sushi podcast. Ah, sushi podcast uh, called In the Raw. I don't, <laughs> it's the raw deal. Oh, the rice guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the raw deal, oh the right kind. So you already had amazing podcasts of your own. Now you're trying to hijack mine. I get it. Oh yes. That's me. I'm a Mine's not nearly as interesting. <laughs> How's it going? Are you live now? I'm live now, but oh, Ellie can probably cut this out, except he doesn't edit his podcast. That's no, good. you're staying in, Homer. Oh my God, don't say anything. No cussing. No swear words. <laughs> well, how's it going so far? It's fun. We've been talking about all kinds of weird things. Do you have a Chinese translator? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> wow. These podcasts are Elliot's laughs. I'm sorry. This should be a podcast in itself. Wow. Download ringtones of Elliot's laugh for 99 cents. Ringtone. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Can I help you with something? Or do you just want to say hi? Uh, yes. You, yes. Um, I'm doing a pour over with a, a Guatemalan roast. And I just wondered if it's a medium grind or more of a kind of medium coarse grind. Uh, what what kind of method are you using? Is that a V60 or a Chemex? He's using his favorite method. Um, it's a V8, you know, four on the floor. <laughs> oh, oh, four on the floor. Okay, not not three in the tree. Four on the floor. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I'd go with the I'd go with the medium coarse actually for the Guatemala. Yeah, I always I like it a little rougher. You know, earlier I made a cup of coffee for Ellie, and he said, Larry, this coffee tastes like mud. And I said, well, it was just ground this morning. <laughs> he said he likes dad jokes, too. So that was uh, two and one. Yeah. Wow. It's a pun cast. <laughs> the pun cast. <laughs> it's superstar. Like, uh, Chris called earlier, and also David Copperfield called earlier. Oh, great. Um, podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Wordplay. We don't want to uh, demean it. It's, it's definitely it's crazy. 
That's right. That's right. Hey, Elliot, how's uh, Larry doing so far? Oh, he's killing it. He's doing very well. Oh, fantastic. Well, I don't want to uh, interrupt too much uh, if I have any more questions. Uh, and thanks for your help with the uh, my uh, four-coin uh, matrix earlier. That was great. Thank you, Larry. Oh, well, you know, it was just that one little uh, thing. Okay, it's that one little thing. It's all of that one Kick little back. thing. All right. Have a good one. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Omer. See ya. All right, have a good time. Bye. Bye. You should see his matrix. <clears throat> is it good? Yeah. <laughs> yes, flash rice is one thing, too. It was pretty amazing. Wow. Um, crazy. Where were we? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> Um, I think I was talking about, or I think you were talking about um, elevating a director's thing, and I asked you about how you create, or like what you think the look of the film is going to be. In oh the yeah, the process. Um, yeah. Well, I think everyone they read the script first, and they start to have a, um, they start to see it in your mind. Like everyone does this. You picture when you read a book, you picture it in your mind, right? Yeah. But it's a problem because you'll never get through the script. You start saying, oh, I imagine a vista with sunbeams, blah, blah, blah. You'll, you'll never get through the script. So um, I try to just read it, take some notes, and then um, where it comes to life is when you see all the uh, concept art from the production designer. Because mm-hmm. he designs the sets, and he's finding the locations with the director. And then those inform the look of the film, obviously, because... The locations are a large part of it. Yeah. Then you see the costumes, and those um, costumes play a bigger part than you might think, because that person's walking around, moving around, that you're crying sure. about, paying your money for it. They have clothes, and it yeah. shows you can't not see the clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, and every every one of those decisions is an opportunity. Yes, yeah. and the color palette. None of it's ever by accident. Mm-hmm. All of that. Um, then you see the locations, and then you see what time of day, and then you see the logistics, and then you might have to adjust everything because some things just aren't possible mm-hmm. <laughs> with the time and money. And you have an idea, and then you scout with your crew, and then you think, here's the color palette, so the quality of the light, we want to have this, these kind of shots, we should have these kind of lenses, this kind of equipment. And then you have this plan, and then when you show up on the day, you're lucky if <laughs> you actually can execute what you say because you, you have a plan but then you know the um, the actor's three hours late and then so you didn't get to rehearse it with him when he shows up he wants to be on the other side of the room and but you have you can't look on that side of the room because all your equipment's there or because you didn't light it and then does the actor big, get much say as far as I'm exaggerating usually it's not that bad but okay. it can happen sure and then you're just improvising and trying to um, uh, get through the day and make everything look interesting. So a lot of it, you know, when, when the pressure's down, a lot of it is based on the foundation you you laid in your prep and your scouts, which is a lot, which is a lot of um, most of the work. How collaborative is that process before, you know, the day of the shoot? I try to be really collaborative about it. You know, I have an idea and I go, you know, with the director aesthetically and say, you know, is this, do you think this is appropriate? And then I'll have to go to the AD and say, this is, it's going to take me this long to light it. We have to have the riggers come in the day before. How much time? What time of day are we going to start? Um, do we get half a day in this room and half a day in that room? And it's just logistical. It becomes really kind of not as glamorous and artistic as you think when you're actually, you know, in the shit. But it's still fun. 
yeah. it's always fun. Frantic. <laughs> Frantic. Speaking of the rehearsal cat, do you know about the rehearsal cat? Yes, tell the rehearsal cat story. Oh, about to get your rehearsal cat. I have, re- I have, you have me, you get oh, me some last time. Yeah. The rehearsal cat is a meme that I'm trying to make, uh, you know, famous, but it's, it's, he's making his way around the world slowly. It's a cat. It's mm-hmm. a meme, and it's a sticker. It was originally the business cat. It is the business cat, actually. Yes. So I do oh, rights on the business cat. So I was hoping you wouldn't say that because now I have to pay it. I, but can, the, I can edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> business cat is saying, if you shoot the rehearsal, it's not a rehearsal. Mm-hmm. That's all. Where did you come up with the idea to do this I don't, thing? I don't think I can, I'm not sure if I came up with it. I think it's a saying already. I heard the saying before I, yeah. I knew of you. But I think it was funny because it's just funny because, number one, a lot of crew people don't like it when you don't rehearse at all, rehearse, rehearse at all because you don't, you don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. But it's not really a lash out against I demand a rehearsal. It's just a funny saying. Mm-hmm. And much funnier when you have a business cat wearing a bow tie. Yes. Saying. <laughs> if you shoot the rehearsal. <laughs> and, and when you see it on the set and on someone's cart or something when it's been a long day it always makes me smile that's oh, all that's great that's all sleep business cat you, can you put a link in the yeah totally profile yes so can see it people can buy their own if you shoot the rehearsal it's not a rehearsal stickers yes hashtag rehearsal cat hashtag rehearsal cat if you go to Instagram there's I think 50 or 60 posts of the cat wow it's I know it's not a lot but for me, no. That's that's a for just a thing that you did. That's pretty, pretty cool. It's almost world changing. Fifty posts. <laughs> um, do you shoot the rehearsals? Sometimes I do. Well, then they're not rehearsals, Larry. <laughs> but I, forget, I would say less than point one percent does it make it into the movie. The rehearsal that's out of focus and badly blocked. Uh huh the performance but maybe it is who knows you know that one Oscar winning moment might have been a rehearsal but we'll never know yeah but I doubt it that's what deleted scenes are for right and special edition extras deleted scenes do you know that for the Super 8 Blu-ray there's a hidden five minute segment about me doing magic is there really yeah I had no idea that's awesome. I also don't own a Blu-ray player, but it's not awesome because um, oh. <laughs> sorry. Because just before it came out, someone called me. Oh, we need to sign this thing for the, the you know the thingy. I'm like what thingy? Oh, we made a segment on you doing magic. What? Where? Uh, you know, on the Blu-ray for the supplemental material. So I didn't know you're doing that. Can I see it? Oh no no, it's gonna be. Oh yeah, that pretty sucks. Tomorrow. Well, wait a minute. Like you, well, yeah, because there's always a camera on set, and so we cut together a thing of you. I thought you'd be excited. Like, but I don't. No, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm just making stuff up all the time. It's going to be really bad, and it might be exposed, and you'll see how I do it. Like, oh, you're worrying about it too much. You look great. And um, oh gosh. I'm like, that's awful. This is, there's people that would give anything to have five minutes you know, on a Blu-ray, and um, I was, no, oh, please. So they let me look at it, and then Homer looked at it too, and he did a couple edits. And But it's just funny that I have so many good magician friends that need exposure, and then like me doing this stupid... <laughs> So bad tricks. Dad oh, magic. Like, oh, and the kids are going, oh, well, it's amazing. I did that. <laughs> so bad. I, love I shouldn't the even say anything. That's so funny. Well, how do people find it on the on the Blu-ray? 
Well, it's it's on there, but I mean, it said. What's the method? Do you believe in magic? I think is the segment, but I'm sure no one's seen it. What's the method? Do you have to wait ten seconds on the? Oh no, no, it's not hidden like that. Oh, it's, it's, oh. it's something that probably not not a lot of people know about. Oh, I thought you were saying it was like an no, Easter no, it's egg. Not an Easter egg. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of Easter eggs, what? Three of clubs. Three of clubs. We all know the three of clubs from not just Penn and Teller, but mostly Penn and Teller, because I love Penn and Teller. But in almost in every one of my movies, I try to put the three of clubs hidden somewhere as an Easter egg. That's your mark on cinematography. <laughs> it's fun, right? I mean, <laughs> that's the through line. That's how people make, know. I think to make every movie. I don't, not 300, because I didn't think of it at the time. Mm-hmm. And there are no but playing, playing cards in, in ancient the, Greece. There are no playing cards. <laughs> it is I know a three of. in the title, though. So, you you know. Oh, and if you turn the... You could just put yeah. another circle on top of the 100 part, and it would be a club. Three. That's clever. That's clever. You know, when they came up with the 3D version of 300, I thought they should have called it 3D 100, but they didn't. They didn't go for that? No. Huh. Or the sequel, like 301. 301. Dalmatians. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it made it into Sucker Punch, Watchmen, uh, Batman versus Superman in two places. Ooh. And That's it, I all I forgot to do it in um, on Skull Island, but we did some reshoots and just in time. You got it, it in. Made it in. Nice. Yes. Great. So, if anyone sees that in March and remembers this podcast, if you are the first person uh, to tell Elliot that you find found where the three clubs is, you will get a free Art of Magic uh, tutorial on the double lift. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. That sounds good. On me. <laughs> um, can I ask you just... Are you getting another call? No. <laughs> Can I ask you just some selfish nerd questions? Sure. Uh, what was it like being in the Batcave? Oh, the Batcave. Is that gross and obvious? I feel weird asking No, it was that. amazing because, you know, it took up two stages. It was gigantic. And it, you only saw it, like, in two wide shots. But that whole thing existed, and it was structural, and you could walk through the whole thing. I watched the, the extras. Oh, so you got it. I watched the whole Batcave thing, and yeah. It was, it was it was built so you know, cool. like a real building. It was ridiculous with the moat. Originally, they were going to put no water in the bottom, and then they did. So there's water in the bottom. There's that waterfall. They didn't have money, so on one side, they didn't want to sculpt you know the stone cavey part. Mm-hmm. But they um, they kept saying, can't you just put black there and it not show up? And all these crazy ideas to save money. And at the end, of course, they did it because you had to. And you hardly see it. But that's hard to light because the whole thing had to be basically kind of lit, you know, from within. It was all glass. So you can't really hide movie lights. So you have to design lighting fixtures that are actually in the shot that you use for to film. And you you supplement that, you know, when you film. But Mm -hmm. that was the craziest set to walk around on. Did you notice there's kind of like a a road that was supported by... Um, cables, rods, cables, whatever. Yeah, yes. and it would drive on there, and it, uh-huh. at the end they had a, like a round turntable thing. Yeah, for the Batmobile. That was all, all real. It was so crazy. Oh my god, that's the coolest thing in the world. I've always been a gigantic Batman nerd, and I think I may until I was probably 
17, I think I owned every bad cave that ever came out. It's like a toy. I like had it and I had all the bad movies. They sold all those? I, I still have them. I, yeah. Wow. They've sold a bunch. What about this one? Did this did this one come out as a as a toy? Are there action I don't know, but it them? should. I, yeah. I agree. This is this is by far the sexiest Batcave. It was super cool. The designer was Patrick Tatopoulos, who's amazing artist and designer. And um yeah, incredible. So incredible. But what's the other question? Uh, just it's it's more Batman stuff. <laughs> so okay. Just tell me everything about that experience. <laughs> everything, everything. <laughs> because because uh, it's like a dream. What can I tell you? What was it like for you? That like, are you like a big comic book person? Are you super into Batman? Medium. Like medium. I mean, I remember seeing like the Dark Knight and all that. Reading mm-hmm. that back in the eighties, late eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, like the newer. Style Batman with Frank Miller, Batman. Yeah, the Frank Miller Batman. Yeah. Badass Batman. So that was cool doing that version. Old man Batman. Yeah. yeah. That is Super. cool. And the costume is just phenomenal. Yeah. We did many tests. There's lots of versions on that. Yeah. Um, what can I tell you? Batman, Batman, Batman. Was it just, I mean, was it surreal? It was really surreal. Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, I have yeah. to say. Did you know that Wonder Woman loves magic? I did not know that. I would sit there and then you see Wonder Woman and she's radiant and powerful and badass and beautiful and everything, right? Uh-huh. And that outfit. And then someone did see her and she just starts strutting towards me from across the stage looking at me. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> and she'd come up to me and say, uh, in her Israeli awesome accent, she would say, hey Larry, got any magics for me today? <laughs> she'd want a magic trick like That's quite often like yeah. to start the day and it's so surreal it's Wonder Woman yeah what the, the hell yeah. wow it was so cool and then so of course ambitious card no so <laughs> sponge bunnies no what did I do I don't know <laughs> what did I do Can I, uh, cardistry no I can't do that Not coin two <laughs> coin badge. I don't know coin, coin and bottle I don't know I did stuff. Yeah. But I can't remember much of it because sure. it's kind of... You can imagine blur. the nerves. Yeah, of course. Imagine. That's amazing. Are you going to be involved in any of the Justice League movies moving forward? Would you I like to be? Are don't you interested? No. You know, I was doing Skull Island when they did the last Justice League. Mm-hmm. And the dates kept changing and it became a whole mess. But I don't know. I saw Zach the other day and he's posting this um, Justice League. Mm-hmm. Which looks awesome, and um, but I don't know what's happening in the future for him. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of his own projects he wants to do, so I don't know if he can just do comic book movies for ten sure. in a row. Yeah, it's that's like crazy. Yeah. That's like being James Bond. Yeah, you're locked into yeah a decade or more mm-hmm. of your life. You know, right? But I don't know his plans. Are you interested in doing? Because most of your movies are like huge blockbuster films. Huh, never thought of it that way. <laughs> I guess so. Are you interested huh. in doing a small budget, you know, oh, yeah, that's indie-ish always, kind of? That's always an option. I think all people do that. They do the big stuff, and it's really cool. And then it's like, I just want to do a human drama or something. Two people in a cafe yeah, talking. Yeah, two people, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I mean, when you when you first start as a filmmaker and stuff, and that's what you think of, you know, drama and like the people type story. You don't necessarily think about all the crazy stuff. But I love special effects. I love extravaganza. So I love doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, something just really deals with the heart. Because like you, I'm a sap. You know, I saw La La Land. I'm crying like a little baby. Or you know, other dramas. I definitely feel you know emotion. That's mm-hmm. the kind of thing you want to. Uh, you want people to feel sometimes just something yeah. good about people, and mm. but all the big, all the big cinematographers I know they like to take a break and do tiny little things. Yeah. But it's hard because once you're used to that, you're like, "What? I don't get any lights, no crew, no time, no anything." <laughs> okay, it's gonna be creative. Yeah, but but hopefully the script has to be creative. The, creative, the, the script can't say, "Okay, then the two galaxies explode, and then we're in the yeah. middle of the." soccer stadium at night and then we go underground to the earth's core <laughs> you know, if, if it's gonna be as kind of movie is this? about two people sitting there then you really have to have these two people sitting there yeah uh what were you saying well you you mentioned that you're a sap um is that what you said yeah i am oh, a sap yeah, yeah no 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 yeah i definitely i said that earlier but i was just saying like would you what like a lot of the movies that I have seen that you have worked on have been dark and gritty and kind of raw and is is that something that you're drawn to in film or if you were going to go and do a, a like a low indie in 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 any mm. in indie movie would you want it to be like a more upbeat snappy la la land kind of musical thing or would it be like I don't know. I think I'm up to be. Up, I'm up for the challenge to do something different. Mm-hmm. I don't think my style or, or the things I was drawn to when I was young were necessarily dark and whatever. I think the projects have been that way. Mm-hmm. But um, it would be interesting to have something all light and airy and romantic. But kind of don't want to do romantic comedy. <laughs> hey, why? But, why does everybody shoot on romantic comedy? I'm not shooting on it. I'm just saying I'm not visually. Saying that you are. I'm just I'm asking to, the question. To shoot it, yeah. It takes a certain kind of thing. I don't know if I can even do it. To yeah. be the truth. Um, but it is funny because you know on Twitter and stuff, people have been saying like all my stuff is dark and desaturated and looks like I have these weird filters and I can't help it. And those are all choices, right? Yeah. It's kind of like no matter what I do, I try to make this happy kitchen scene and it keeps coming out dark and scary. <laughs> That, I'm trying. I don't know how. That would be a really yeah. funny DVD extra. Is you like struggling over this like really happy scene, and it's like it's like what's family breakfast? Yeah, it's like what's in your head, and it's like do 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 do. Would be funny. It's like really light and bright and happy, and then like on the screen is like porridge and it's right. cold and dark. And <laughs> make a few adjustments. <laughs> right, the studios there. What is happening? How did that happen? Um, no, but just good, solid yeah. cinematography. Like, I mean, they're like, is, are all the Coen brothers? Are they all dark and whatever? Story? It, no. I, no, I yeah. I mean, like, that's the kind of thing. I love Coen brothers, that kind of thing. Or yeah. Tim Burton and... Or, sure. You know. Um, dark and Raw. Dark and Raw is a lot harder to do, that's for sure. Is that part of it? You like the challenge of it? Um, I'm not trying to like put no, no, you no, in a again, box. No, no, when it's dark appropriate. And wrong, but. but you're right. I mean, the, the classic thing is remember when Seven came out? It was so amazing, right? And, and 
me and other filmmakers, any cinematographer would say, oh, this is amazing, this should win the Oscar. And then, of course, everyone's like, what's wrong with that movie? It's dark. They turned off all the lights. Can't see anything. That movie's you amazing. Know? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, the light defines the dark, and the dark darkness defines the light. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. Oh, do I seek these out? No, because you don't always seek out projects. Mm-hmm. You kind of, the script comes to JJ you. J.J. Abrams calls you and says, you have to do this. <laughs> that only happened once. <laughs> uh, no, the, okay, lost twice. <laughs> but the, um, you know, scripts come to you every so often, and, and you're mm-hmm. like, what? Um, well, maybe you're right. Maybe, you know, that's the kind of movie, after a while you start, not necessarily, I don't want to say pigeonholed, but... You became known. You become known for that. So when they do the Notebook too, they're not gonna give me the script. Yeah. Although I have gotten scripts like that, believe it or not. I'm thinking what? So, um, but you know, I've gotten comedies. I've gotten other things. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, you don't really know. Yeah. Because you don't get a script every day. Every couple of months, you get a script and, um, or whatever, and then you have to. See if it's something you'd. What I do is is a movie I would like to see, mm-hmm. and hopefully not just I need money, so I'm just going to do it because I don't care about it. Sure, <laughs> that's never happened. Um, but there has to be some kind of connection, mm-hmm. and you just don't know what's what's going to be next. Yeah, like like if you're an actor, you know, you know, you, know, you may want a certain kind of script, but it doesn't mean it's going to come. Sure. That's how that works. <laughs> what do you, since you're in the industry, how do you feel about the kind of the reboot sequel? Oh, everything, atmosphere. right? Yeah. That's all it is. That's all it is. Now. Because I'm doing, about to do um, Predator, which is a sequel. I just did King Kong, which is a reboot. Before that, Batman or Superman, which is, I don't know. <laughs> kind of it's a sequel um, and a reboot right of. what did I do for, did I do Now You See Me that was like I don't know what that was had a sequel yeah um, Super 8 was its own thing so yeah one of the great original yeah. things coming out right Watchmen was original mm-hmm. and Sucker Punch was original and 300 was original so I don't know I, think, I guess Hollywood can't think of anything where if they ever wants a sure thing that's something that's been proven, let's do it again. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Torn cigarette paper trick. Nate Leipzig. <laughs> yeah, it's a square that came from here. See? Organic. Look, see the square? See, like... I do that shit all the time. I you don't my, even know you're doing it. Your I made my girlfriend so mad last night palming Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> you're at the movie and you're like taking those snow caps out of the popcorn and at the end. It's now I just kept cap. reaching over and taking a Skittle and not eating it. And oh, you're doing the thing. And so like, you know, after oh my God. half the movie, she looks down and like the same amount of Skittles are there. <laughs> No, I'm so proud of myself. I'm not saying the first one, but now I do torn and restored French fry, which is basically the torn and restored cigarette. Oh yeah. But the French fries, you gotta try it. It's amazing. It's, it's no one expects good. it. Do you do the slidini one or what method are you using? The you know where you 
Yeah, that's the slight dainty one. Yeah. And then I go, mmm. Right. Nice. I'm showing Emily <laughs> with with the spring with the ring on, with spring. The ring on spring thing how to do Tony Stewart French fry. That's nice. I like the little touch. Do the ketchup. Right. <laughs> okay, are we born anyone yet? Are we, gonna, are we in four or five hours like Jordan's or not? We can. When's Jordan gonna call? Um, I, <laughs> when is Jordan gonna call? He doesn't have my number, so I don't um, know him that well. So he's not gonna call. That's funny. I have a missed call from Kenner also. <laughs> 25 minutes ago. So Homer texted me an hour ago and said, David will call Larry after our show ends about 5.45, so stall. <laughs> <laughs> and so when Homer called, I was like, I wonder if that's the call from David. And it wasn't. <laughs> I have no idea. Not that I was stalling, like we were having right, a conversation, right. but I just that's thought it was so funny. funny. Um... There was another. There was something else I wanted to ask you, but I feel good. We didn't. I, I want. I want you to talk about the Australian coffee. We didn't really talk. <laughs> oh, about the Australian coffee. Yeah. So you have your own coffee. I. I'm probably the only one in the United States that has this coffee. That gets this coffee. Um, when I was in Australia, I ran into. Uh, I met a barista and a roaster, and they turned me on to this no carbon way of roasting coffee do you know how that works i do not i google okay. it i can't find anything they said they're not the only ones that do it but they say the major roasters won't do it because it's way too much trouble mm -hmm. but it's a lighter roast but it's not just that it's a lighter roast it's that there's no water or oil or at least no water yeah no water or oil in the finished roasted bean mm -hmm. it's kind of like rock yeah it's just you crunch i did it for you i crunched it and there's no water in it which means it does not rot yeah. it doesn't get it doesn't spoil that's not the main reason. But because there's no carbon in it, um, it has a cleaner taste. And they posit that um, people, the smell of coffee, burnt coffee, when you smell those beans, that's what everyone struggles after. Like, that's a good thing. Yeah. But they say they don't agree with that. They say carbon's a bad thing in the same way where, you know, if you kind of burn a steak, you like it. Mm -hmm. But when you eat that burnt part or the seared caramelized, part. whatever, yeah. you're actually... It's the carbon that you're eating, not it's not the true essence of beef if, if it's a steak. Yeah. It's not beef flavor. Yeah, sure. yeah. So in the same way, you don't really need that and you don't really need the carbon burnt beans. So mm -hmm. um, but like I said, what one thing is that it doesn't spoil, the other thing is that the coffee you don't have to you don't have to clean the machine. They showed me their machine, they don't clean it. So it's a cleaner mm -hmm. um, extraction. And they say that it's actually the contaminants like carbon that give you the jitters, not necessarily caffeine. That's super controversial. Yeah. Because I went on an espresso run with them when we were in um, Brisbane. And we had espresso all morning and of their kind of beans in different places. And I wasn't shaking and I wasn't wired. Wow. Freaked me out. <laughs> but, I'm not having the experience yeah, I thought I was going to have. Yeah. Which you don't like anyway. Yeah. It's like... Um, but my friend, he was jittery, so I don't know. Um, but um, it's Uncle Joe's Coffee. My friend is Mark Leo, L-E-O, and he, I don't know if he's with that company still, but they win all kind of awards left and right in Australia. And they actually won a competition with beans that were, I think, six months old. And they do have extractions of, of, from their beans that are a year old that I actually had, and it's crazy. So anyway, 
that's the beans I use, and I have a whole bunch of them, and I love it. Yeah, you gave some to me and Amanda, and it was. I'll like, give you some more. I like I, yes, I would like. My some friend more. is Australian; just came back with another load. So that's what that is. But someone could call it bullshit. I tried to Google it, and I don't know. And your girlfriend is a, a expert on coffee, so um, I'd like to know more about it. She was super into it, but it's like a nobody has heard of it over here. Not like yeah. Weird, yeah. But you know, Australians are way ahead on the coffee curve, right? Because they—that's what I hear. European influence. They were <laughs> there's machines like the professional machines on movie sets, and I thought, oh, they must surely have a barista, and then normal people just walking up and doing it because <laughs> like normal person can't work this resume machine, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Commercial, but everyone PAs grips—they're all doing it. They just do it, and you know their menus have like 10, 11 coffee drinks while we have like four. Yeah, they're just so into it, and so I learned so much there. It was fun. That's um, awesome doing that but I only have one coffee a day maybe two if it's a bad day but I'm not, I'm not like addicted to coffee or caffeine it's just yeah. a fun thing what else well yeah I agree it is a it is a fun thing I like the meditation of it the ritual of it is that something that appeals to you as well yeah but more for you because you do the nice slow gentle thing and mine's Right, it's whole. Yours has, yours has a lot more sound effects than mine. <laughs> so I don't know. It's good. I thought that was being serious. Now, like, there's two schools, and maybe one's the sailboat <laughs> and one's the powerboat. I don't know. That's interesting. That's a nice comparison. But I always thought it was cool because you have to be skilled and have money to get the cool espresso machine. But now, yeah. if it's equalized at all because people can do pourovers or a different kind of thing, then that's good too. Maybe I'm wasting my time and money and energy. Yeah, but it's one of those My things. Milky like drinks. Your <laughs> was that boring every day? Like either a espresso or a latte. That it's gotta get boring after a while. It's gotta be something. It's else. gotta be more boring to drink a pour over every morning. But it's not. I still love it? it. That's why I get out of the bed in the morning. But you get more of the extraction because you're not full, not full of milk and sugar. That's true. The cappuccino is, is uh, like half milk, and a latte is like a third. Yeah. Coffee and two thirds milk. Yeah. That can't be right. That's why no, in you're... Europe, you know, yeah. lattes for girls and babies. I didn't say it. That's what they say. Yeah. I was like, oh, would you like a little coffee or milk, glass of milk, baby? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I say. But I have to say, if you do a, 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 just a pound a shot of espresso, you're, you feel that and you'll be. My poor mom. She went running to the toilet, I believe. I'm like, what's your coffee doing to me? <laughs> but um, great. Now we're talking about my mom going to the bathroom. <laughs> It was bound Sorry, to happen. Mom. It was bound to happen. Matter of time. <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, so you're about to go to Vancouver. Oh, I, did we talk about that on the while we were recording or before we were recording? You're about to head to Vancouver. I know. I'm about to head to Vancouver to do Predator for six months. I'm going to try to take that machine. I'm driving up, so I'm going to try to take that machine with me. Although it's oh, yeah. 100 pounds, I'm just going to weigh down my car. Holy cow! And uh, I will be there. Doing how Predator. how does that work? How's what work? Because you're in a Tesla, and you're gonna drive like what is that, twelve hundred miles something to Vancouver? Like yeah. How does that work? How does that work? I don't understand. Oh, when you put a map in your GPS on the car or on a help websites, uh-huh. it helps you plan a route uh-huh. and it shows you where the superchargers are. Okay. And how much you need to get charged and how much each day and the percentage and so it plans the whole trip. Okay. You don't just go off and go, oh my god, I hope I don't run out of <laughs> Okay, that's good, because I didn't know. <laughs> Which happens, by the way, with gas, be... <laughs> if you don't know, like when you're going to... I ran out of gas all during my younger years, because I never you know, knew when there would be a gas station. That's true. 
but um, barring any problems or weather or heavy loads with espresso machines, yeah, I hope to make it up there. You know, three days. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two suitcases, an espresso machine, a cat. And Are you going to take any magic books with you? Yes. Which I ones? I'm this. Uh, where is it? Do you know someone, Vinnie Bossy? Yes. Vinnie Bossy? Yes. Yeah. I got that one. I haven't even been able to crack it yet. So I can take that one. And I heard I want, it was good. There's a good card fold in there, apparently. There's two. So oh, I want to okay. work on that. But also, I was, I've been thinking about Earl Nelson a lot lately. Mm-hmm. And I saw they had the newly printed variations with new photos in there. So I'm going to take that. So for some old school rejuvenation. Cool. When I um, first started going to the castle, I, I met a guy named George Tovar at the magic, ca- uh, the magic store. And we used to hang out up there. He's the one actually who encouraged me to become a member, which was terrifying to perform. Uh-huh. Um, but we used to hang out there, and a guy named Earl Nelson would be there, and we'd always hang out. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, I, yeah. But he lives far away now. Uh-huh. But, you know, he he's a contemporary of Di Vernon. And he... You remind me a lot of him. Oh wow! Because he smooth and effortless and classy, and in his presentation, his pass, everything is elegant. And I wish there's more video of him because I think you'd appreciate him. I I love the book. Oh, you do know the book? Yeah, I know the book. Variations is great. Yeah. It's one of the it's one of the few books that was sold on DanandDave.com when I was learning magic. Oh, you're right. They sold variations. They sold. Uh, uh, what was the other one? <laughs> it was a uh, versatile card magic. Versatile card magic, yeah. Variations of versatile card magic, and they had Hollingworth stuff, and they had totally oh, out of control stuff. for a while. Yeah. So I, I like, I had a really good sort of foundation coming up because I got to watch Dan and David and Ricky and their elegant handlings, and then I got to read all this great magic, and so it kind of that's awesome. Yeah, but. I think they came out with a new DVD when that book came out, but there's no way I could find it now. But if they had the video of Earl yeah, doing stuff, that, that would be amazing. It? I've never seen it. No. Man. So, so who who were some of your book influence? Like some of the people that you would go, these were my influences when I started learning magic. Um, like, what did you gravitate to? I would say that. I mean, I have all of the hard stuff. I have Ernest Derrick and stuff. <laughs> Didn't even start. Like, I can't do any of that. But I enjoyed reading it, right? Yeah. Um, and that claptrap young... trick is just a bunch of claptrap. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, but don't laugh. But like, Card College was very influential on me because mm. you know it helped you just focus and totally. One of my go-to you don't know. tricks yeah. is in Volume Two. What's that? Uh, the Homing Card Plus. The Francis Carlyle trick that he changed the ending to. Yeah, what was that? It's the 52 cards to pocket, or 51 cards to pocket, basically. Oh, okay. I love that trick. Yeah, that's good stuff. But I hate to say it, like, they say that, um, you know, DVDs and stuff are bad, though, but I have to say, you know, and not everyone would admit this, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but somehow I got a hold of those Michael Amar easy-to-perform card miracles. Mm-hmm. It's like a three or four DVD set. Mm-hmm. Because I just had, when I was young, I just didn't have any real direction. Mm-hmm. At least, I wasn't trying, I didn't follow them exactly to do the pattern, but I could see and go, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. So those, you know, helped just with the basics and just to see what card magic looked like. 
helped a lot. But as you can see, we've got a lot further than that from there. Although <laughs> you have, yeah. Um, but it's all good stuff. There's tons of stuff in there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but what? Like one of the most influential people for me getting into magic and and watching the videos of him do tricks I was like that guy's fucking awesome I want to learn everything that he does and I want to be his friend one day do you know who it was? Kenner <laughs> and now you are I know it's. But where'd you see it? What do you mean? Where it was on Theory Eleven. He's got those. Oh, that's the new, like new, new, the winning DVDs. They're down. No, 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 no. Yeah, he he was missing Link and Three Fry and Hellbound Spellbound. I was like, this stuff's fucking awesome. Incredible. Yeah. And I got the book and read that and died laughing at how funny he and Homer are, and you know, it's it's great. I had like the perfect storm of getting into magic because I was by myself. I got super lucky just getting all the good shit. <laughs> you are lucky. Yeah. You are lucky. But um, Chris, Chris and Homer. Oh, what about your chinka ching? Oh. <laughs> I think that was just a racist joke. I think that was just a... Because <laughs> Chris texted me. He was like, ask Larry about his chinka chink. And if that's just a racist joke... I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> because fuck them forever for making me do that. <laughs> no, I think what they're, they're trying to make me look better than I am. They're trying to make it sound like, a, hey, thanks for good ideas. I'll have to say that I did help them. Like When I first met them, they had a lot of uh, mentalism ideas mm-hmm. and stuff for their island and stuff. And they did talk to me about doing some, because they knew nothing about that. Yeah, and I was helping it out with some stuff with that. that oh, is this him again? No. Um, well, but, Homer, I I talked to Homer about you a little bit because he looks up to you so much and considers you one of his best friends, and he he really did say he's like Larry makes everything better. Huh. Wow. Hmm. So you know, I don't I don't know that it, it is them just trying to make you look better than you are I think like they really want to maybe because I'll think I'll see something and I'll think about it and go well, maybe this change this or this you know I just like to think I'll what are think, you think about stuff yeah. maybe what is it that you're changing like what is it but they're like, not big things they're like I'll watch something and go you know like that it's not even as a magician it's like even almost as a objective observer mm-hmm. saying yeah that doesn't make sense saying. maybe they should blah, blah, blah. I don't yeah know. so it's like any, what is it it's not magical genius it's just it's know. magical awareness, certainly. Maybe. Maybe. I Knowing can't the difference exactly. between shaking your foot, you know, 30 times instead of three good times. <laughs> Maybe it's that kind of thing. Maybe it's when we watch magic. Or well, you we just know what makes sense. What makes, like, like... Well, I'll have ideas. something logical. I don't know if it always makes sense, but just at least I'll think about it. At least if I see a trick and I want to do it, I won't mm-hmm. just do it exactly like that person did it. I'll think about it and make it mine. What um, does that mean? Make it yours? Well, I see myself, I see a person do the trick, and I see myself doing the trick, and I go, that's not how I would do it. If it's with my personality or my techniques, or whatever, it would probably be better if I started this way, ended that way, mm-hmm. threw in a twist here. I don't know. 
I do that too. I just wanted to know if that, like, what that feels like. What that. But that's what everyone should do. That yeah, should be the I first agree. thing. Absolutely. That should be step one. We should have talked about this two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I agree. And so I'm just asking, you know, what does that look like for you? I don't have any specific examples. That's but, okay. Um, I don't know. Don't know. Maybe I'll think of something. Second. <laughs> when I do my stage show, I have my Brooklyn show. Um, Brookstone. <laughs> Beyond Brookstone. Sharper image. Sharper image, yeah. Oh my god, that's funny. Who keeps typing? I keep thinking it's going to be, you know, the next person, a magician to embarrass me. Um, <laughs> So I know what you're going to ask the question is going to be when were you fooled badly or like recently or in the past, right? Yeah. So Garrett Thomas for sure. Yes. He does He's going to be at the with, castle next week, by the way. I know. Oh, you're going to miss. Oh no, you, it might overlap a couple days. I guess I have to squeeze it in. Yeah. But you see the thing he does with the driver's license in the wallet. Right? I have not seen it. Well, he did an old version like a couple of years ago that was just mm-hmm. amazing. But at Magic Live, he did this thing where. It was crazy because he had his wallet and, you know, he borrowed my license in this hand and then I blinked and then my license was in his wallet and his license was in his hand. Yeah. And I'm looking around and then like I'm blown away and everyone's just laughing. I don't know if they could all see how it was done or something. But that's, that's you know, lately. the Remember I told you about David Roth? Yeah. The, he, that still haunts me to this day when I happened to stroll into Hollywood Magic and he did it the countered version of um, Be Honest What Is It uh-huh. and also this other trick that was way too long to explain that I've explained to every magician I know and no one has any idea what it is yeah and but I ran into David Roth at the uh, the Conjuring Arts Center uh-huh. in New York um, last month and I took him aside and I said I remember you came in probably 20 years ago if not 25 uh-huh. and you did the trick and I described it to him and he goes Oh yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. That's from the forties. That's in a buried in a book somewhere. Yeah, and then he just kind of walked away, and I didn't know <laughs> how much money would it take. For, you know, I, don't, I don't know how you deal with that with a magician, right? Yeah. I mean, I do with a magician I know, but for someone who's a stranger, you can't just yeah. say, "Oh, so tell me that's been bugging me forever." Yeah. So, I mean, I might still never know. It drives me crazy to this day. Although, I have to say, I was so young that I didn't know what the other, be honest, what is it, was until I described it enough where people said, oh, that sounds like Fector. You need to look in this book. And I went through all the Fector books and mm-hmm. read every one until I figured it out. That was my, the early days. So that was the early of like me searching for months and months and months to find a trick. And um, these days, it's easier. But, um, yeah, so David Roth. Coin guy, his card, his card stuff, unbelievably fried me way back then, and I'm still fried. <laughs> There's a a trick that Jordan Gold does that fools me every time. Fries me so bad. It's a rubber band trick. He breaks a rubber band in front of you, and he puts it around your hand. And when he puts it under, so your hands like this, he wraps it around your hand and touches the two ends together under your hand, and it's. Yeah, I've seen him do that. It, no it's idea. Amazing. I love it. And I, I asked him once. I was like, "Will you please show that to me?" And he says, "No." And I was like, ah, "Okay, fine." And now I just, just live with the, uh, 
my knees. <laughs> Knowing that there's a real wizard walking around in the world. <laughs> but someday. But there's some things, you know, like magicians like, you know, will never I think Chris Korn or Homer something is still something like we'll never share or uh there's one thing I want Chris to share with me that he keeps saying he will, and it's been 10 years, and I know he never will. It's, that's kind of his okay. MO, though. That's fine. <laughs> but other things, yeah, the other yeah. things, they will. That's okay. Who was it? Oh, I think actually, I think it was Homer that said this on his episode, or maybe just when I was talking to him, but he said he had asked, I think it was Homer, he had asked Chris Korn about something that fooled him really badly and was like, hey, will you show that to me? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll show it to you. And then just, you know, right. never did. And then like That's it. two years later in a magic was hey, you never showed me that thing. Oh, yeah, I'll show it to you later. Never did. I think that's worse. I think that's worse than just saying no, but being like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll show you. And then just not right. doing it. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh, well, you have to live with that sometimes. Yeah. It's okay. JJ will never know how crazy man's handcuffs. Because <laughs> you can't look it up. It's super hard in print and the yeah. internet. There's no way. No, definitely not. <laughs> he couldn't buy it if he wanted to on artofmagic.com. Right. It's taught by Jordan Gold. Yep. That doesn't. So that's that's me. I'll just show him on Skype. Like, what the hell? What the hell? <laughs> Got to show you in person. There's no way. Nope. You can't. Nope. Sorry. Well, let me take a look at the notebook. Uh, okay. Oh, here's the thing. So I like all of this. I like clothes. I like good whiskey. I like good sushi. I like good coffee. I like like objectively better things. Because I want other people to have those elevated experiences like what you were talking about. Does, does that resonate with you? Because I like the yeah, yeah. shared experience aspect of it. Yeah, it can't just it can't just be for yourself. Yeah. Hopefully. When you bring people into that, you know, like kind of like you can't always bring people into it. Mm-hmm. Because I'll say like you got to go to the sushi place then I'll I'll take them and then I learned this early on where not everyone's going to like the way you like the sushi. Mhm. <laughs> does that frustrate you? It does me too. At the beginning I'm it like, did. You just don't understand. No, at the beginning it did. <laughs> yeah. Then I thought how can you this like forcing someone to like the kind of music you like. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, that's fine. Don't listen to that music with that person. Don't take that person out of sushi with the person. When you find people to do, then go out of sushi with them. But it's not anything against the other person. Yeah. It's just that. You're it's just not catering universal to thing. them. Or, right. Like, yeah. That makes sense. And that, that goes back to like the sharing experiences. You want it to be positive. You can't. I've stopped trying to force people to like really peaty scotch. <laughs> Right. If you don't like it, okay, that's fine. I prefer right. it, but, you know, it's not... Yeah. yeah. It's the same kind or of thing. Or I've turned people on to different magicians. I go, this guy's great. And they go, I don't, I don't like him at yeah. all. I don't see your point. Yeah. So people are different. That's yeah. all. And now, now, because I know about myself that it is about sharing an experience, now instead of trying to get them to like what I like, I go, okay, well, now let's both explore and try to find what it is that you love. Exactly. That's very meaningful to me. Yes. I'll do that to people as well. Kind of with... What do you? Or I'll have I'll be with people. You know, you choose. You choose where you always choose good places to eat. And I go, no, like you, you choose. <laughs> you know, and they go, I don't know. I'm pretty simple. I just want this Mexican or that. And I go, that's yeah. fine. Do you feel like people don't want to let you down? Mm, no, I think they know me. They know that I'm a 
really judgmental like about that. Okay, sushi, I won't go. <laughs> Any place else? Anything? Any other I think people are or... like self-conscious about their choices. So, especially when it comes to things that are like that are frequently appreciated. Mm-hmm. Well, do you really want to be an asshole? Because I remember like a friend of mine. She goes, Larry, I was doing my uh, laundry in the strip mall, and then there's a place there called Sushi Time. And I went there, I said, sushi time. Oh my God, that's hilarious. And she goes, why well, knew you were going to say that? I knew you were going to make fun of me. And I felt really bad. Yeah. She goes, because you know what's going on. And I felt really bad. Yeah. So I go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know what? We'll go to sushi time. Yeah. We will. I'm serious. And I went there, and it was amazing. Yeah. And then so, <laughs> it's really important not to be an asshole when you can help it. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, like, I used that's the problem, right? I don't think anyone would accuse you of being an asshole, but I think I've been accused of being an asshole a couple of times, and that's just not, it's not worth it to me. I don't know. Yeah. Unless you like being called an asshole. I don't. Some people don't care. Some people don't care. Which is fine also. Yeah. Some people like it. I don't like it, though. <laughs> Have you seen the newsroom? Have I what? Have you seen the newsroom? What is it? Uh, it's an Aaron Sorkin show on HBO. Oh, no. You know what? Don't get mad, but I don't watch a lot of TV. And it's not because I'm above it. I'm not mad. It's not because I'm above it, but if I do, I'll either watch, you know, Penn and Teller or I'll watch Carbonara Effect <laughs> or At Midnight. Yeah. Or um, I haven't seen, like, any of the series. I've never okay. seen Game of Thrones. I've never seen... Yeah. Um, I don't watch a lot of TV either. I, I just... I know it's because I'm restless, or like I know it's good stuff. Yeah, but or the commitment or whatever. Yeah, that's all. It's not because I think I'm busy reading. You know, I'm in I'm film. I don't have yeah. time for it's television. Not, it's not about that. No, of course, sure. Uh, I just wondered because what I just said reminded me of a scene in the newsroom that I was going to reference. That's it. That's all. I didn't see it. Um, it's the main character is sitting in a therapist's office, and he's talking about how the people in his newsroom are afraid of him, and it's the equivalent of being oh, called okay. an asshole. That's all. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Do you write? Do I write yeah. what? At all? Mm-hmm. <sighs> uh, curious. Kind of. What do you mean? Do I write? Well, I'm not going to say screenplay because that's just cliche, but <laughs> I mean, do you write prose or poetry or. I'm interested in writing. I don't ever sit down and do it. But you think about it. I do think about it. You like it. good writing? Yes. I appreciate good writing. I love to read. And you recognize it. Yes. Like good screenwriting or TV writing. Yeah. Okay. So okay. I'm, I'm certainly interested in it, but I, I do not do it myself. But I do copywriting and that kind of... So I'm like very... I, I try to be aware of like what it is people respond to okay. and think about. And, you know. Good. But it all ties oh, back just in. checking. Oh, okay. Because I was going to get you a present, so now I'm just checking to see it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I was going to get you a pencil. That's what oh, I was. oh, yes. I love pencils. I'm a pencil guy. I got those black wing pencils. Those things are gorgeous. The Palomino black wing? I have no idea. Okay. Well, whatever. Anything left? I think everyone's boring. Everyone's bored and falling asleep at this point. Do you, do you ever get some... bored and fall asleep during the podcast? No. Okay, then. I listen to, I'm probably <laughs> the only one that listened to your Jordan Gold or the Aussie Wind thing in its entirety in one sitting. 
but that's only because I usually <laughs> listen to the podcast when I'm driving. Not uh-huh. only, but I do. Yeah. And my mother and sister live in Orange County. When I go down there, there's always like three hours stuck in traffic. Sure. Or three and two hours back. And then that's how I was able, at least, well, two sittings to listen to some of those podcasts. Yeah. And that's the only thing that got me through the uh, bumper to bumper traffic on the five. Oh, I'm It's because of you. So thank you. I'm, I'm thoroughly honored and I appreciate it. And I can't <laughs> wait to listen to yours in traffic. This one is going to be amazing. You already listened to it, and you just you were here. I was, I was, I heard it live. That's right. Oh. Are you going to listen to your episode? No. You're I'm sure? embarrassed already. Are you sure? Yeah. Because I felt Cause the I same there. way for a while. Oh, you listened to all of yours? Not all of them. But oh, but you listen to the person though, the yeah. guest, and I'm already the guest. So I'm I know, but I'm the guest on every one of them, Larry, and it's awful. <laughs> uh, no, because I there's. Supplemental material on DVDs and stuff that I can't bear to watch, can't see myself, so I have yeah. not watched those, so probably not. But I'm glad Is to that... help. I'm glad to be a part of this uh, because I believe in your podcast and I love it. Oh, thank you. And it's the one podcast I listen to every single one. And so and that really that's means the world to me. I really do appreciate well, it very much. Thanks. I turned more people onto it than you know. So people yes. that have been on the podcast because that would have known about it, not for me. So you're doing well, a good thing. Thank you doing a great thing I really appreciate it you feel good? I do let's go to the castle okay sounds good <laughs> thank you so much you're welcome Are we? do we need to make sure that David Copperfield's not going to call? <laughs> he already did call again <laughs> oh no now it's this Homer how's it going? three of clubs <laughs> 37 triangle gray elephant in Denmark Battle of Hastings was 1066. What is he doing? Okay, he's say he's giving you things to talk about. Kenner just texted me this picture. Me too, but I don't understand what it. I don't either. Is. What's happening? I th- are they just? It said he with just this? saw your book test. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one time I was there was, a, there was a, a social thing, and David said, "Hey, everyone, Larry's going to do a trick. Hey, Larry, do that book test thing." What? So Copperfield's telling me to perform, basically, in front of his guests. Well, you can't so turn him down. I'm going to do this book test, right? And I, you kidding me? So, you know, I don't like to be put on the spot. Mm-hmm. So I do this book test. Here's a book. Choose a book off the thing. Look at a word. Blah, blah, blah. And I can't get it. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get it. Okay. Failed. Okay. I shrink, and I vanish, and I kill myself. And <laughs> that was like such an epic failure. Today I'm better because I know how to fail, especially with mentalism, and like use it as a plus. Yeah. But then, yeah, wow, that was so embarrassing. What did you learn from that? What I learned from that? Yeah. Don't be put on the spot. Don't <laughs> put on the spot. Number two, in mentalism Don't failures are your Copperfield friend. <laughs> mentalism failures are your friend. Yeah. It's only better. Yeah. Yep. Because in the hit, when you do hit, it's bigger, right? Yep. Do you have any more wisdom, real quick, that you could throw in before we finish? Um, no. Take a chair with you where, where you go. <laughs> Buy a book chair. Book, book chair. Um, no. I had so many things I wanted to say, like over the months that I thought I would say, but now I can't remember any of it. I wrote notes down, but I on purpose didn't consult them. So, no. Other than thank you, Dan and Dave. I'm hanging out with you way more than Dan and Dave that I ever did with Dan and Dave. So I'm sure they're wondering why. I'm better. That's fine. We can just say it. They, they, they also, 
they also like I never did would pull out the cards in front of them. Like, yeah. When we used to hang out with them and Derek and stuff, and then I'd be on the couch, like one of their girlfriends or someone would be there, and they go, "Hey, do you do something?" And then she go, "Oh my god, oh my god!" And they all look over. They go, "How come Larry never does any magic for us? It's only for the girls." <laughs> It's like I'm not gonna pull out the cards in front of you guys, and I still don't. You know, yeah. when other magicians are there, I like watch what they do, mm-hmm. and I learn, and then I use that. You know, later. Yeah, so. I think that's important. Too many magicians are too quick to show and not listen. Well, it's only because I have nothing to show. Well, see, <laughs> I like, I don't believe that for a second. I'm first like, of all, I'm sessioning. I'm not gonna session and say, "Hey, look at, look at, listen to my listen to my pass." <laughs> Oh, it sounds great, Larry. It sounds, yeah. it sounds really good. Listen to my top change. Um, yeah. That's funny. Nope, that's all. No wisdom. Okay. Well. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Elliot. Thank you for joining the... Wait, no, that's how it starts. Wait a minute. Where'd you, where do you get that music for the podcast? That's what I want to know. Daniel Prado wrote that. Oh, really? He performed it. Uh, yeah. It's nice. I like it. Yeah. I didn't know it was Neil Dropper. What the hell it was. It's yeah. good. Yeah, and it's exclusive. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's cool. He did it just for us. I was hoping you'd have some like ragtime piano, kind of like an LL video. That yeah. I'll start like that, but because that's the universal, everyone likes that music for magic. Sure. You didn't. No. That's fine. So I'm sorry that my artistic choice didn't match your vision. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you can't have it your way, Larry. <laughs> or it's string quartet. Everyone knows that. That's that's approved for magicians as well. Yeah. But okay, whatever. We're bad, like... I was going more for podcasts than for like, magic. Like NPR influence. Yeah, NPR. You know, my I talk about all the time, you made it weird as a huge influence. Okay, I was listening to NPR before you were born. I believe it. Are we going to keep going? No. <laughs> Is this going to be an Aussie Wind episode? No, it's not. <laughs> it is not. Okay. Rerun the Magic Castle. Yeah. All right. See you later. Thanks so much for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts, so shoot me an email at podcast at artofmagic.com or send me a message on the Magical Thinking Podcast Facebook page. If you enjoyed this episode, please support the show by sharing it on social media and letting others know why you loved it. I'll see you next Thursday. Cheers.